RadioInfluence.com. God and government. Do religion and politics mix is the topic we'll intently and intensely delve into in this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we'll dig down deep into the very roots of our nation to prove that our founding fathers' intent never was to separate government from God with guest actor Nick Searcy, producer of the film America, America, God Shed His Grace Upon Thee, author, talk radio host E.W. Jackson, Bishop of the Call Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, Jack Hibbs, founder and senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, California, Star Parker, founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, known as CURE, international human rights attorney Virginia Prodan, author of the book Saving My Assassin, and scholar-author Dr. Steve Turley, who posts daily videos and podcasts at turleytalks.com. This podcast is available on RadioInfluence.com or your favorite podcast platform. A great way to show your support is by subscribing to this podcast, give it a rating, and leave a review. And be sure to tell your friends about the broadcast. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. I'm sure you know that one. What about this? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And one more. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. The Battle Hymn of Republic was published in 1861. Our Pledge of Allegiance in 1892, the words under God included in 1954. God Bless America was written in 1918, revised in 1938. That's the version we all know, recorded by Kate Smith. How did we get from there to what we're dealing with now, where God has been removed from our schools, the workplace, and our government? What does God think about this? What will the end game be in regard to our freedom and liberty if we continue to spiral down this anti-God rabbit hole? What will it take to flip the script and return to our Judeo-Christian roots and values? Let's get into it. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Catherine Lee Bates penned that as a poem back in 1983, and by 1900, it had become the song American the Beautiful. That song 
And those words, when I was a kid growing up in elementary school, we'd say that every day. We'd either sing it or we'd say it. Every day when I was in elementary school. And then it stopped. And, you know, America wasn't anywhere near perfect back then. But back then, there were two parents in the home. The least of these, as Jesus has termed them, which should be the unborn babies in the womb, were protected. There was respect for authority figures from parents to police. Small businesses, mom and pop stores were thriving. There was a strong sense of patriotism and a desire for morality. And the village raised the child. I remember when I was growing up in Summit, New Jersey, if I did something back in the 50s when I was a kid, if I did something and my neighbors saw it, they had the right from my parents to reprimand me and then send me home. And by the time I got home, they'd call my parents and I'm going to get it again. Also, attending church services were the norm instead of the exception. So how did we get from America, America, God shed his grace on thee, to this garbage we're dealing with now of a cesspool that we're just trying to keep from turning completely communist and completely just losing all our freedoms and liberties? We're going to get into this right now with somebody that really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. The list of his television credits is lengthy. And he also has performed off-Broadway. He played Deke Slayton in the miniseries produced by Tom Hanks called From Earth to the Moon. Many of you know him from bringing to life Chief Deputy U.S. Marshal Art Mullen on the FX television series Justified. He is the director of the movie Gosnell, America's Biggest Serial Killer, which was based on the chilling story of Kermit Gosnell. We all know about that, that creep. The Philadelphia-based convicted murderer of several infants who were born alive. And he once had the honor of guest hosting the Rush Limbaugh show. But the primary reason Nick is here today is to enlighten us to his findings from producing and starring in his movie, America, America, God Shed His Grace on Thee. I am happy to bring to the show Mr. Nick Searcy. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. That was quite the introduction. Uh, you you make, make me look really... I, I was impressed. Well, you know what, Nick? I get, I, get, I get paranoid when I bring on people like you and Morgan Brittany and the Hollywood people because I know I'm ready for Hollywood. Da, 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 da. You know, I know you guys are used to the, to the, to the, to the big uh, <laughs> the, the big send-off and the big interest, so I, I try. I really try. But thank, thank you really for, for coming on, Nick. And, and uh Let's just start right here. Back when we were growing up, I'm a little older than you, but back when we were growing up, America had a Christian uh, essence. We may not have been an actual Christian nation because we're not a theocracy, but we had a Christian element, a Christian nature. And look at where we are today. How did this happen? Well, that's what the, the movie that I made called uh, God, America, America, God Shed His Grace on Me. And that's the movie. That's what it's about is how this happened. And basically, in a nutshell, this has all been deliberate. The, uh, the, the Marxist movement, the communist movement has basically marched through our institutions for about 100 years. 
and they have converted a lot of uh, young people over the years. They've turned our universities into indoctrination institutions instead of educational institutions. And so basically they have drummed out of generations of American children, they have drummed out this idea that this country was based on Christian principles, and they have furthermore demonized America to the point that, that basically they've convinced all these young people that this country was founded on racism, was founded on evil, and really should not go on existing. They are trying to destroy the country, and that's, uh, that's the people that are in power now are the product of this long march through the institutions. Yeah, and this is sad. And the thing is, we've watched them push this football a yard a year for so long now that they've got it to where we don't even recognize this country from what it used to be. So what spurred you on to do this particular movie? I mean, Gosnell, everybody knew we were all aghast, at least most of us, about what had happened, what, you know, the the baby's born uh, alive and he's killing him. It was a great movie. What why did you decide to do this? Was there something that happened? You said, okay, I, I have to take the bull by the horns and people, you need to see this movie. It's, 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 it's a wonderful movie and his cast. I can't even tell you every, the cast just goes on and on, but these are the, some of the people in the movie, Charlie Kirk, Ben Carson, Mike Huckabee, Ben Shapiro, the late Herman Cain, which I think was his last uh, movie, uh, Dean Cain, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dennis Prager, Dr. Alveda King, Ted Cruz, Bo Snerdly from the Rush Limbaugh show, Bridget Gabriel, who was on my previous podcast, David Horace, Louis Gohmert. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And of course, Nick plays the man in the suit, which is interesting because he does all the interviews and he also rides a scooter, rides a scooter, rides a horse, a motorcycle and a couple other things. We're not going to ruin it for him. But why, why, why now? And why did you decide I have to do this? Well, I was commissioned to make a documentary by the Western Conservative Summit uh, back during the COVID year uh, because they couldn't have their live conference. And so they approached me about making a documentary about the relationship between America and God and how that had changed over the years. So just in the, I, I agreed to do this. And as the movie went along, I just began to discover a lot of things from talking to all these smart people you know, a lot of things that I really didn't know or hadn't put together about how this country had been perverted, about how this country had been basically subverted from within by uh, enemies uh, that basically are leftists that have been trained by American leftists to hate the country. And as we went along, you see all the tactics that the Communist Party has been using Ever since Whitaker Chambers, back in the 30s, all of the attacks on the family unit, how the communists, when Whitaker Chambers testified that the Communist Party encouraged them to not be faithful to their spouses because they wanted to erase this idea of fidelity to anything other than the Communist Party, anything other than the, the party's agenda. And so that's why they've got to get rid of God they try to destroy the family unit, and they try to demonize patriotism and make that into something evil because they don't want anybody worshiping anything other than the almighty state. And that's why we have 
Joe Biden in office now is because Joe Biden is basically an empty suit. He is a Politburo member like Kosygin uh, in the old Soviet Union. He's just an empty-headed nothing that will do whatever the party tells him to do. And this is all a result of, of this long, as I said, the long march through the institutions and the, the cementing of communism's hold on our educational system. Right. You, Nick, you're so right about this. And so many of us have been beating this drum for so long. I hope the people are starting to catch on. From your interviews of all the outstanding people that you have in this movie, what would be the one overriding thing, the, the one thing that you think the enemy has been most successful in that has brought about this change. What is the, if there was one thing you could put your finger on that they had to do to get this ball rolling the way they wanted it and spiraling downhill to away from godliness, away from morality, away from uh, American nationalism, as it would be like America loving your country, God, family, country, what would be the biggest problem we, we, we confront? I, in my opinion, and I think this is this is uh, supported by the movie, is I think the pitting of the races against each other. They are they basically their goal is to divide Americans by race and make us hate each other. And so they say to the black race, they say all those all those white conservatives over there, you need us. Well, you need the white liberal to protect you from those white conservatives because they're racist, they're white supremacists, they hate your guts, and you need us to protect you from them. And that, to me, that is the, we, we talked to Andrew Young in the movie, who's maybe the only Democrat that's really right. the movie, and it, it might be the best interview in the whole thing because the way he talks about racism, he marched with Martin Luther King. He went through all the civil rights movement and the way he talks about forgiveness in this movie, that is what the left cannot do. They cannot allow forgiveness. They have to pit. They have to, they have to continue to claim that we haven't gone gotten anywhere since Martin Luther King. This is still a racist nation. White people still hate black people. They have to go on and on with that because they cannot allow us to forgive each other and join and become the United States of America. They hate that, and they want us at each other's throats. Nick, I thought Andrew Young's explaining when he went to visit Dr. King in jail, and you had the white yeah. racist calling him nigger, uh, a little nigger wants to go in and see the big niggers in the jail. That story right. is so compelling about how Andrew Young, under the guise of Dr. King, how he handled that situation. I won't ruin it for people to, that want to, that's going to see this movie, and I hope everybody gets this movie because you really need to see this. But I'll just say, at the end, that man ended up actually leaving the South, moving to Maine, and actually running into Andrew Young, who did not recognize him, and told him, thank you for what you did because the way you did it and how you did it 
led to me examining myself, turning my life around. I'm a completely different person. And that's what the left doesn't want. They, you know, it's right. Cultural Marxism, pitch, pitch rich against poor, male against female, black against white, divide, light the fuse, and then come in and say, OK, we created this mess. We won't tell you that. But now you got to count on us to, uh, to, 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 to settle the score and straighten it out. And you're right. It's all about divide and conquer. Uh, one of the things in the movie that really, one other thing, Gary, the great thing about that Andrew Young story is that the way he did that was through Christian principles, the Christian right. principles of forgiveness. And we talk about this in the movie, how, even though Dr. Martin Luther King is taught about in schools, they always leave out the fact that Dr. King was first and foremost a Christian preacher. He was a preacher, and that everything that he did came not only from Gandhi, he did take some things from the nonviolence of Gandhi, but he was a Christian first, and what he did was preach the gospel. And what Andrew Young did to that racist guard was he exhibited Christian behavior for that man, and it changed that man's life. Right. Changed his heart first and changed his life. And this is what they don't want. They don't want us exactly what you're saying. They want us at each other's throats. They want us fighting. One of the things in the movie that really resonated with me, uh, Nick, was uh, I forgot who said it, but he said removing religion you know, because people are trying to say the separation of church and state, which really has nothing to do, people, with separating God from government. All that was about, all Jefferson was saying, we don't want the states back then to have a state religion. Like Maryland, you have to be a Baptist. You got to be a Lutheran in this state. You got to be. They. It was about freedom to worship the way you want it, not freedom, separation from God. So somebody in the movie said removing religion doesn't get rid of all religion. What it's being replaced yeah. by is secular liberalism. Please explain that because people have to understand you're going to have a God. We are all we were all created by God to know him. But if you don't want to know God, you're going to have a, a replacement. It's either going to be the state or in this case, he's talking about secular liberalism. Will you, will you explain what, what this means? Yeah, when you remove God from society, you don't get nothing. That's what, that's one of the, the points that's made over and over. You can't just take God away and not have anything replace it. it. It creates a void because we all have a kind of hole in ourselves, a God hole, I like to call it, where you, you know, you're searching for meaning that is beyond just this life. And if you take the idea of God away, then you have to replace that with something. And what the left always does is replace that with worship of the state. And it basically, they, they have all these things like climate change and racism and, you know, the, the things that, you know, we as individuals, we have the power to save the planet by the way we sort our trash. And, and people that don't sort their trash properly are destroying the planet. And it, 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 this has continued on in the mask nonsense. You know, we have the power to protect ourselves from something like a virus by wearing this mask, even though the mask, the box it comes in says that the mask doesn't protect you from the virus. But it's, it's all replacing this idea of God with this kind of narcissistic view, secular humanist view, that we have the power 
over this environment because nobody created it. It's up to us to recreate it. And that's the, that is the silliness of the secular liberal movement. It's also the danger of it. Because once you take God away, you have to replace it with the state. And when you replace it with state power, that's when you get totalitarian systems that basically just go around murdering, executing, and imprisoning their opposition so that they cannot ever be resisted ever again. And that's what we're going through right now. This is true, Nick, and and that's why Karl Marx, the first thing he did, he had to neuter the church because he understood that either people will follow a benevolent God or the state, but not both. And then you had to take away the guns. So when people find out that, oh, you're really Marxist and you, what we thought was going to be a share all one for all, you know, each according to his need, uh, that's not that's not happening. Now they want to take their government back and, and, and you don't have guns anymore. So they take away the guns. So this was always, always the game plan of what what they wanted to try and do now. What we've done is you've talked about where we are, but you, I think you need to go back and please explain uh, which how the movie starts out, how this country was set up in the first place. Because, see, a lot of people that are under 50 years old have no idea about the Constitution, you know, and, and, and about, you know, our Bill of Rights and Declaration of Independence and how it was formulated on the auspice of God to begin with. So please kind of explain to them how this country was set up and why retaining God in government is so important. Well, this was, this was, this is explained in the film. Uh, This was the first country in the history of the world. And I believe it still is the only country in the history of the world that was founded on the principle of individual liberty and not sovereign state, head of state power. In other words, this country was based on the individual and the individual has to have a relationship with God and a, and a freedom to worship God that is independent of the state. And in this way, that's how the, the constitution was formed so that we, the people could select our representatives to, to govern us. And that if our representatives did not govern us the way that we wanted them to, we could replace them. It gave the people the power to replace them. Over time, of course, this, this, as Benjamin Franklin said when the republic was founded, it's a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Right. What's happened over time is that with lifetime politicians, the corruption that, that you know, the temptation of corruption, there's so much money at stake. So many lobbyists, so many things going on. A lot of these politicians have subverted that so that now we have a situation that is not any longer this country based on individual liberty. It's no longer a bottom-up country. We now have a top-down country where our elected officials believe that they tell us what to do. Not we tell them, they tell us. And so that, to me, that's the most important thing about the founding of this country that most people miss is that it's the only country founded on the rights of the individual, and that's what's being lost. This is true, Nick, and as, as, a, as, a, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I do know that liberty and freedom, they, they, they came from the cross. When Jesus paid the price for sin, that 
it created the ability of liberty and freedom. Now you can have this. You can you can be free from bondage of everything that from the fall in the garden was going to you put mankind in bondage forever. And that's why, as you said, this country was founded under the auspice of the liberty and freedom that can come only from God. Ronald Reagan said liberty is a gift from God. We know it comes from God and you either fight for it or you lose it. Do you think people, whether they are believers or whether they are religious, just do you think people in this country are starting to get it? Because, you know, we the morality so. is totally in the toilet right now. I hope so. I hope people are beginning to wake up. But the other problem, too, is that I hope it's not too late because what's happening now with the subversion of our ele- electoral system, with this, you know, Gavin Newsom just signed a bill in California last week codifying mail-in ballots, universal mail-in ballots forever. And see, that is just, that is a recipe for fraud. And basically what they are doing, the Democrat Party in California is making sure that they can never be voted out ever again. Because with mail-in ballots, they are always going to win. And this is, this is what Stalin said. You know, it doesn't matter who votes. What matters is who counts the votes. If we have a system whereby you can vote them out all you want, but then they get to count them and go, hey, wait a minute, we found all these votes over here. Gavin Newsom actually won. Then it's going to be very difficult to, to really address this peacefully. And yeah, pe- I don't say yeah. that lightly. You know. I understand, I understand where you're coming from. And people, you just saw it. Please pay attention to what Nick is saying. We just lived through it. One of the underlying factors of this virus and why the Democrats wanted to shut the country down was to stop people from going to the polls on election night. This allowed mail-in ballots, ballot harvesting, and everything, as just Nick just said, they could send in from dead dog, cats, dogs, dead people, people are voting it in three states and if they're counting them they can rig this thing and that is one of the problems you know with this whole thing about mail in ballots and you're you're so right it's uh who counts and also 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 to the media jumping in and saying after there were all these uh irregularities and uh, and obvious fraud i mean obvious mail-in ballots found all over the place now the media has jumped in and said, oh, anyone who says that is some sort of crazy white supremacist, Trump supporter, conspiracy theorist, they're insane, they're violent. They have to be put in jail. They have to be demonized and, and suppressed. The media has jumped in to enforce this idea of, uh, of uh, you know, the, the mail-in ballots and, and Democrat fraud being the part of the fabric of the country. And this is what leftists always do whenever they take power. Yeah. That, and, and by the way, people understand when George Bush won, they wanted to say the Republicans cheated, that the ballot, that, that they cheated for the Republicans and he didn't really win. You see this all the time when a Republican or conservative wins, like in Georgia, you know, down in Florida with, with DeSantis and in Georgia with Kemp over, over, uh, over Stacey Abrams. Oh, you cheated, you cheated. But when they lose, Oh, oh, you, now you, you know, you see, it's the complete opposite thing. They go the opposite way. So if we win, we cheat it. If they lose, we cheat it. So, you know, it's, 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 right. it's a mess. So 
Hollywood, which I used to call Holly weird, has pushed an anti-God agenda for decades. We know this. And, and even especially amongst the Christian movies, they make Christians look either uh, stupid or crazy. And I remember uh, just going back. And people, by the way, uh, I used to do a live radio show. It started in July of 2020, and Nick Searcy was my very first guest. Also on that show was Morgan Brittany, of the star of Dallas, uh, one of the movie from the TV show with J.R. Ewing Dallas. She was on that show. I just started this podcast, Nick. Last month, Morgan, this time, was my first guest. And every time she come on, she's comes on, she's been on my show five times, previously on the live and once on this podcast, she always talks about you and talks about how you get it. And Nick can, he knows all the issues. He can debate everybody. He can, he, he knows everything there is to know. And she just talks about how great you are about what you do. My question is, Knowing what Hollywood is, how did you find your way to the truth, but most of Hollywood doesn't? You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure exactly why that is. I know that, uh, you know, I, I kind of uh, I got successful a little bit later in life in, in terms of uh, my film career. I moved to New York after college and I did a lot of theater up there, but I really didn't. I really didn't have any financial success at acting until after I was married and I had my first kid and my values were pretty much solidified by that point. And so, you know, I was fortunate in the, my career getting started pretty much with a movie called Fried Green Tomatoes, which was a very well-received successful film that gave me enough of a profile that I could start a career and, so by the time I got to Hollywood, I, already, I was already kind of a conservative, and I was naive because I'd been living in North Carolina up to that point, and I didn't know that I should keep my mouth shut. So by the time I realized I shouldn't tell anybody that I was a conservative, it was too late, and they already knew. <laughs> so yeah. I guess that's kind of how it worked. <laughs> you know, I just how bad are they, Nick? Well, I guess the, Nick, how uh, bad? How how bad are they? Hollywood, because Morgan, you know, when she comes on, she just talks because she still lives in California and she's like, they're, they're just they've lost their minds. How bad is it? And, and, and not not just the people, but the movies and the television shows they're putting out, because people part of the reason we're in this rabbit hole is because Hollywood, under the guise of the communist plan to gain control of motion pictures and television, they've been giving us their message for well over 50 years. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. It's, it, you know, Hollywood is basically a group think town. And everybody there, there's so many ways that people say no to you in Hollywood that everybody's scared of giving them any, any additional reason to be rejected. So it's easy in Hollywood to be a Democrat. Uh, that, that takes no thought or pressure at all, you know, you're never challenged on it. And, and basically the way Hollywood people talk when you're in the room, they just talk about politics or, or about the world in such a way that like, there's no possibility that anybody who was a conservative could actually be in the room with them. They just assume that everybody agrees with them. And so what happens with the content that's coming out 
especially now that everything is is streaming services and it's not based on ratings as much as it used to be anymore. It's not based on results. Your shows don't have to do that well. You don't don't have to have that many people watch them. All they're doing in Hollywood now is trying to impress each other with how woke they are because that's how you get your show made. That's how you get your show on the air. It doesn't matter that everybody who watches it and thinks that's a bunch of crap, they don't care because they're going to get their next show made by the leftists sitting next to them. Then it's not going to matter what the people out there who are actually watching it are going to think. And that's why so much of the product coming out of Hollywood is so monolithically left. They're all just agreeing with each other and patting each other on the back. How hard was it for you when you spoke up? Uh, how hard was it? I mean, you what know, did... it, 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 you know, I, I, it wasn't really all that hard. I, I've got to say, I mean, I think it's overrated. I think that a lot of the way bullies work, generally speaking, in the world, is if they think they've got you scared, they just keep, they just go, okay, well, we we neutralized that guy. You know, in my, I'm sure that there have been parts that I didn't get because I'm outspoken. I'm sure that there are certain people that, you know, have said, I'm not working with that white supremacist, racist, terrorist, Nick Searcy, you know, or whatever. But there are a lot of people who work with me because of who I am, you know, because I am not afraid to speak up. And I've, I've worked with Democrats my whole career. I mean, I, and I still do from time to time. And they, you know, it's, I think you're better off, and this may be wrong, but I think you're better off just being honest about who you are and let the chips fall where they may. Because as long as you keep letting the bullies know they can bully you, they're going to keep bullying you. Right, and I, I hear you. And from my point of view as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to be salt and light, and I get I spread the truth. Then they just have to deal with it because it is the truth. They they don't have the truth, and and they don't they can't debate you because everything they have is based on lies. So all they can do is call you names and yell and scream or run away, and then they know they've lost the argument. Nick, was there one thing in making this movie that you that you didn't know like in making this film was there one thing that just you know gee i didn't know that that you learned from making this film well you know i, I gotta say that the conversations with uh, harman kane and the conversation with andrew young just about the civil rights movement it revealed it to me in a way that i had not thought of it before that whole concept of how the civil rights movement and Dr. Martin Luther King, it came from a Christian perspective first. You know, that was just not a way, that was not a prism through which I'd looked at it before. And hearing Andrew Young in this movie talk about his faith and talk about how his faith shaped what they did in the civil rights movement was really a revelation to me. And, and it, it, it brought me closer to God hearing Andrew Young tell his story, because if Andrew Young can forgive that man that called him, just so casually called him the N-word, and, and Andrew Young could treat that man with the dignity and respect that he did, that, that story changed my life, Gary. It really did. And I think it will, um, I think it will affect everybody that sees the movie. I'm, I'm glad that it did. I'm glad that it helped. The movie can help a lot of people. From my point of view, Yes, this movement, the civil rights movement started out as a Christian movement. I just wish it had stayed there because if it had stayed there, if the message had been 
uh, had totally not been about black and white, but if the message had kind of gone on point about Christian followers of Jesus, then a lot of the people in the South, the white people that were claiming Christ, but were doing this to what would be their black brothers and sisters in Christ, it would have it could have completely revolutionized or prick their hearts, just like that guard, to understand, hey, if I'm a Christian, how can I be treating a brother in Christ this way just because they're a different color? Right. You see? And so, but, and that's, that's, go ahead. that's why the Marxists had to take over that movement. That's why Black Lives Matter, they have now taken that movement, taken that whole idea of racial equality, and turned it into a Marxist tool. And the way they've done that is to take Christ out of it. You've got it, Nick. Uh, now we've we've discussed where we are. Before you go, tell people what's the solution. How do we get out of this mess? <laughs> if well, there is a solution, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to drop that on you, but you know, do you have a solution here? Well, yeah, I do, and 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 it really is embedded at the end of the movie. If you go to shedhisgrace.com. S-H-E-D-H-I-S-G-R-A-C-E, shedhisgrace.com. The end of the movie is really uh, uh, a call to action, and, and what basically the premise of it is that we have to return to our roots as a God-fearing people. Amen. And that it's up to each of us individually, as, as individuals and as Christians, as, as people who believe in God, the people who believe in God in this country have got to try to take it back. And the way we do that is through divine power. And we pray and we follow his principles and we follow the, the divine principles rather than secular human principles. That's the way we take this country back. And it's going to be a long march. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. These communists have been marching through our institutions for decades, and it's going to take that long to get it back. But the way to do it is to get on our knees and, and ask God to help us get it done. Absolutely, because all throughout the Bible, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, whether it be Moses, Abraham, the Apostle Paul, didn't matter who it was, repentance on your knees repentance god will heal your heart and heal your land and heal our land uh nick thank you so much for coming on please tell people how to reach you and anything you'd like to promote yeah shedhisgrace.com is where you can buy the movie you can download it you can order a dvd you can follow me on twitter at yes nick cersei um y-e-s nick cersei and um I'm getting ready to release another documentary in the next month or two called Capital Punishment. And it's a, it's a movie about the people who are being persecuted for uh, having gone to Washington on January 6th, even people that never, never went inside the building and never did anything wrong. And uh, that, that should be coming out by the end of the year. And that one ought to get me some work in Hollywood, Gary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Nick, I, as, a public, uh, as a public service announcement, please spell your name for people for Twitter, because when they look at your name, they may not pronounce it Cersei, so they may spell it wrong trying to find you. Right. right. It's, it's N-I-C-K-S-E-A-R-C-Y. Yes, right. Nick Cersei. S-E-A-R-C-Y. Right. 
And and yeah, that this one will this one will will really endear you to uh, everybody. You know, when they're trying to have hearings and wanting us to raise, it's, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? They want to arrest people when we had done shows leading up. I almost went there on the six, but I had had so many guests on. Everybody knew Antifa, Black Lives. They, everybody knew it was going to be infiltrated. They knew something was going to happen. So it happens. So yeah. they want to jail all of us, but they can burn down half of half of America on national TV yeah. and nothing happens. Right. I was there. I was there on January 6th. I, I saw it, a lot of it with my own eyes. And, and you know, none of the things I saw are the things that I saw on television. They didn't show any of that. It was like a million and a half people, most of whom were praying and saying the Pledge of Allegiance and walking around flying flags. The only things they showed you were the, you know, the few people who did bad stuff. And a lot of those people were not Trump supporters. They were plants dressed up as Trump supporters. And that's kind of, that's what the movie's going to be about. Yeah, you know, we never do that. You see, because we we basically have a sense of decency, morality, and honesty. You notice we never go like to an Antifa or, or a Black Lives Rally rally dressed like Black Lives Matter and start knocking people in the head. We we don't do stuff like that. But you know, so right. we, we just we just have to win this the way we win it. Nick, thank you very much for coming on. You're always welcome to be a guest on the show. Anytime you have something you want to say or promote. Please let us know, and we'll put you back on. So keep up the good fight. God bless you, and God bless your family. Thank you, Gary. God bless you, too. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Till the next time. There we have it, Mr. Nick Searcy. And I please, I please see the movie. It's called America, America, God Shed His Grace on Thee. Because God shed his grace on this country when it was founded, and he's not through with us yet. We just, yet we just need to pray, repent, and pray, and ask him to save and heal our land, because we are in big, big-time trouble. I wrote a thesis a while back about Christians and voting. And why you can't be a Christian and a Democrat, not in this society. And I just want to read a paragraph or two out of there. Our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. That's a fact. Therefore, separation of church and state as it applies today is a sham for the Constitution of the United States of America. Amendment one states, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, close quote. So the intent was to protect the church from intrusion by the federal government to establish a state church of a particular denomination, not to protect the government from God. Quote, Almost all the ideas that have made America such a unique and great country, our founding fathers got straight out of the Bible, was said in the film Agenda, grinding America down. I guess that's why the left, and this is continuation of the quote, only has a problem with one religion, biblical Christianity. They never complain about separation of church and state when it comes to Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, or any other religion. They must destroy the Bible's influence in America so they can step in with big government in its place. End quote. There are two things, people, that 
make my head want to explode. One is when I talk to people and they say, well, there are only two topics I won't talk about, religion and politics. I have never, out of about 500 people I've heard say that, never heard that come from anybody that was a conservative or Republican. Every person was a Democrat. The other is about the separation of church and state, which was never intended to separate government from God. It was just to say, well, Maryland has to be a, 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 a Presbyterian and New York has to be Lutheran and this has to be that. It was where you couldn't have one denomination. And just keep hearing this, it just drives me crazy. And then I, I was on a, t- a podcast show video last week with a person that was a Christian that said he wanted the separation of church and state, that Christians shouldn't be in government. Well, to make some sense out of this and to set the record straight, we bring on somebody that really understands this issue from both sides. He served in the Marines. So when you were in the Marines, that means, you know, you have somebody that had a love of America and he's got he's got some fortitude here. He's, he's got he's got some power behind him. Graduate of honors from UMass and Harvard Law School, studied at Harvard Divinity School, licensed as a Baptist minister, consecrated as a bishop in 1998, practiced law for 15 years up in Boston while he pastored a church. He's the founder of Stay True to America's National uh, Destiny Stand. He'll explain to you what that's about. Authored several books, written in several publications, We could go on and on and on. He's the host of The Awakening, a daily talk show on America Family Radio. He's been on Fox News, OAN, Good Morning America. You've seen him all over the place. He ran for lieutenant governor of Virginia, also in the United States Senate, ran for the Senate. And he is the bishop of the Calls Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Happy to bring to the show Bishop E.W. Jackson. Thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, please explain this, because it, it, it just drives me nuts, frankly, about people thinking that the founding father's intent was to separate government from God. Because if you take the Christian or Judeo-Christian influence out of the government, you get what we're getting now. Yeah, you know, Gary, I remind people that there's a difference between law and culture, and it's true that our founding fathers wanted to be sure that there was no legally prescribed religion that Americans had to follow because they wanted us to be free to follow our own conscience. But they also acknowledged that we are a Christian nation, that our culture is Christian. And, and sadly, what, what the left and some misguided people have tried to do is to suggest that the Founding Fathers didn't want Christian influence. Well, in fact, that was the primary influence in most of their lives, Christianity and the Bible. And, you know, I've often said that it, it's, it's difficult to understand how you can come to a point where you think that public prayer or reading of the Bible is somehow unconstitutional when the people at the Constitutional Convention who were establishing the Constitution both read the Bible and prayed. 
So obviously they didn't think that reading the Bible and praying were somehow inimical to the nation that they were seeking to establish in the Constitution that they were seeking to pass. So it, it is a complete misunderstanding. But look, it's intentional because, as you said earlier uh, in your comments from your commentary, th- this this is a, based upon the intention of separating America from the values that make us a free Judeo-Christian culture so that they can establish something, they meaning the left, the Democrat Party, uh, and all of their cohorts can establish a very different kind of nation. And Gary, anybody who's watching what's going on right now has got to know that what you just said and what I've just agreed with and affirmed is the absolute truth because it is right in front of your face. You nailed that. Bishop Jackson, and let's go back to the genesis of this. We've been, and you've been on my show when I had a live show several times before, and I thank you because your expertise and your experience and coming from a man who has been ordained to do what you do, you have credibility. But let's take this back to the genesis of this. When you go back to Karl Marx, the first thing he understood was that you had to neuter or silence the church, the father of socialism. Because if people are either going to look to a benevolent God for their sustenance or they're going to look to government, but not both. And then you had to take away the guns because you see in Cuba, you see in Venezuela, you see in China, you see wherever you want to look what happened with Stalin. When you look, they if you have your guns, you may be able to defend yourself, but they take away your guns. So when you find out you are now losing all your freedoms one by one and you are becoming uh, you know a ward of the state you can't get your country back so they have to neuter the church first we've been telling people this forever why don't they get it why don't they understand that if you take the essence of God and Judeo-Christian values with the Ten Commandments and all righteousness and goodness comes from out of the schools, out of the workplace, and then out of the government, all you're going to have is lawlessness. Well, you know, Gary, I, I, I have um, thought a lot about the origin of, of all of sin. And the Bible, of course, tells the initial story of Satan rebelling in heaven. And I said, what, what was Satan's problem with heaven? It was a perfect place. It was an ideal place. It was There was no sin. There was no wrongdoing. I said what it boils down to is his ultimate problem was he couldn't run it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's a kind of demonic impulse in people. Our founding fathers, brilliant, inspired men, uh, set up a, a, a constitution and a country in which no one could have absolute power. Power is diffused, a tripartite government. You got federalism where you have states with their own sovereignty and their own authority and power. And then you have the federal government, which cooperates, creates cooperation between those states for the purposes of fulfilling needs that that the entire country has. But power is diffuse. It is broken up. Nobody can have it all. But, you know, there's this impulse in man, without God particularly, to be God. You know, Satan wanted to be God and people want, you know, one of the things that Milton said in Paradise Lost in the poem about Satan's mentality Mm -hmm. was better, better to reign in In hell, hell. serve in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so I think you've got people 
who would rather have a chaotic, anarchical, uh, 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 disruptive mess on their hands that they're in charge of and have the beautiful country that we have had. Not perfect, of course, but better than any place else on the face of the earth. So I think the reason why they don't accept what you were saying, why do they not understand it? I think they're people who don't want to understand it because it doesn't give them absolute power. And that's what they want. We want power to tell you you must take this vaccine, whether you like it or not. We want power to tell you you must accept what we teach your children, whether you like it or not. We want power to tell you that you will pay these taxes and you will pay for this excessive spending, whether you like it or not. And even if you're in the military and you don't want to go along with this jab, we're going to dishonorably discharge you. I mean, it's all authoritarianism and totalitarianism. And frankly, it appeals to godless people because they don't believe that they're answerable to the true and living God, so they want everybody to be answerable to them. And you see that in communism everywhere it's been practiced. And I think there are people in our country, sadly, who are misguided into thinking that they can have the same power over everybody else that people like Mao and Fidel and uh, and Stalin and Lenin have had. And, and frankly, Gary, you know my position on this. They're never going to have it in the United States of America because we Christians are going to stand up and we patriots are going to stand up and they're going to find that Americans love freedom and we're not buying into their totalitarian uh, uh, horror and nightmare. I agree with you on that on that factor. And, you know, because God told Abraham if he could have found 10 in Sodom and he would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah, he had way more than 10 Amen. praying here. <laughs> and and so I, we have too many of us on our knees just begging God to save our land. And, and so I know we're not going to go down. And, and, and people think it's the end or Babylon. And I say, no, it's not Babylon because you got to understand the nature of God. God has never sent his people. His people, I'm talking about, you know, born again, followers of Jesus that that belong to the Lord. They are not going to go into captivity without a warning. You know, you had Jeremiah issued a warning. You have you have all the every time they were in trouble. He sent a prophet to tell him, you better straighten out or there's going to be Egypt. There's going to be Babylon. We have not got that warning. At least I haven't heard you give it to us. So, you know, I don't see Babylon either. So but so I really believe we're going to be safe. But boy, are we going to come close to that to that yeah. you know, drowning in the Red Sea experience? Because now we're facing it. And something that just happened this week, I hope, is going to open the eyes of the left. And that is that this administration actually has the audacity to want to think about having banks turning over to the IRS yearly the accounts of any United States citizen who has more than $600 in their saving account on the premise of we want to sniff out rich people who aren't paying enough taxes. Shouldn't it be, hey, if you want to sniff out the rich people that aren't paying taxes, shouldn't you start it? If they have a half a million in their account, not $600, you you know, when are people going to get this? When are they going to see what this is about? This is a power grab. And and there are power grabs like that going on all around us. I mean, he wants to fire Border Patrol agents, and we've already got a border that is completely out of control, but he wants to hire 
thousands of IRS agents to comb through the accounts, the bank accounts and the finances of the American people. And, and you know, when, when, we, when we discuss this, Gary, it doesn't even sound like America. It sounds like some other country that we're talking about in theory. Say, oh, yeah, you know what they want to do over there? Yeah, they want to monitor every citizen's bank account. We don't do that in America. Well, guess what? We've got people in America who think that it is somehow their right to control everything, our finances, our health care, uh, where we work, or whether we can work. I mean, this, this is really stuff of biblical proportions, Gary. And it's why Christians have got to be the ones that stand up. You know, Jesus said um, in Isaiah chapter 61, after he talks about the spirit of the Lord being upon him and then establishing trees of righteousness, he says, and they shall rebuild the old ruins and they shall repair the ruined cities and, the, and they shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. When I've taught that and, and spoken on that, I say, notice what happens. God goes, he, he, he's, he goes from talking about what Jesus will do for us to talking about what we must do for him to restore societies, to restore uh, old ruins, to repair ruined cities. And he's looking to his people to do that. So if the body of Christ sees these signs and stands up and says, no, you're not going to teach our children critical race theory. No, you're not going to teach our children that their gender is somehow up for grabs, but rather than being established by God from birth and before, and no, you're not going to te- dictate to us as parents that we've got to sit down and shut up and turn it over to the experts, and they will decide our lives for us. I think as Christians who believe in God, I mean really believe in God, not just going through the motions, stand up for what we know is right and true. I really believe God is going to move in a dramatic way, and we're going to see an awakening happening in our country, which, which may well already be starting, and we won't really understand it fully until it, we look back on it in the aftermath. Boy, I, I hope you're right about that, Bishop Jackson. And one of the problems I think we have in this country over the past 50 years, God has been taken out of the schools. You know, a lot of the households, it's gone. Uh, the Bible, I'm talking about the influence, the Christian, Judeo-Christian influence of the Bible. Ten Commandments are gone. A lot of these kids don't even know what they are. And very few people that I ever talk to even have any idea that government comes from and is ordained by God, because as you know, in Romans chapter 13, it states that government is ordained by God and accountable to him. So the leadership that does not incorporate God, what God thinks is making a really bad error, because government's primary function, as we know, is to enforce laws by force if necessary, which is why God says government has a sword, and to protect the people from evil, certainly not to perpetuate evil itself. So if the government's supposed to protect you from evil, and the government is talking about wanting to kill babies and perverting God's uh, plan for marriage, and to perverting, taking away our freedom so we can become socialists, and where the state becomes your daddy and your God, this is all you know, completely contrary to what God had planned, because you can't have, if God is everywhere, you can't have government without God. Yet people are trying to do this. And I have to, I have to bring this up because both you and I were born black. We're born again now. We're followers of Jesus Christ, washing his blood. 
clean, perfect. You know, we're born again people now, but we still were born black. And when you look at black America and a lot of the people that go to churches, 92 percent vote for the exact opposite of what God is ordaining and vote for this Democratic Party continually. Why? Especially if they're churchgoers. Well, many of them are deceived, and and you just said it. If they're if they're church goers, Bingo. many of them are deceived, and many of them they 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 might be in the church, but the church is not in them. And I this look, I've made this comparison. I've said the antebellum South turned Christianity. Some of the some some churches did turned Christianity into a racial religion and ideology. They tried to make Christianity something that justifies slavery. Uh, and of course they were wrong. And, and, and most true Christians knew they were wrong to do that. And now we've got a situation in which many black churches are trying to turn Christianity into a black racial religion. And they are just as wrong as slave masters were to try to use Christianity to enslave people. It is wrong to use Christianity to convince people that because of their color of their skin, they're either oppressors or the oppressed. Because Jesus said he came to set the captives free it's and free. the son set free is free indeed. So you're right. Maybe we have been set free by him. But look. We know that the church is made up of people, and you've got like Raphael Warnock, who pastors Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. And it, look, if if he is a Christian, then I'm a 1957 Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing in anything he says that indicates a commitment to Christ Jesus. In fact, he's made clear he's very committed to Karl Marx's teaching, and he thinks that Karl Marx's teaching ought to influence the church. He's very committed to abortion, and he calls himself a pro-choice pastor. He's very committed to the homosexual uh, perversion and activism that I think is just destroying the culture of our country. So there's nothing Christian about him, yet he's a pastor. So the people sitting and listening to that either are being deceived as Christians or they are not Christians at all. And the, the true Christians have already left because they, they realize this guy can't teach me anything about Christianity or the Bible because he doesn't believe it himself. So that's what, what is being faced here. A lot of pollution of the church. You know, the 75 percent of the churches in America no longer believe the Bible is the word of God. Only 10% of the 25% who still do are willing to apply that to the issues of the day. So we've got a major problem of apostasy and heresy in the in the church itself. But here again, you know, Isaiah chapter 5, I think it is, it says, unless the Lord has had left us a remnant, we would have been as Sodom, we would have become like Gomorrah. So we are the remnant Gary, that is going to help be the salt and light that this country needs to awaken it out of this horrible coma that the left is trying to put us in. You're right about that. You're right about that. And you may not, you don't have to say it. I will. He's a false prophet. You can't do that. It is pick up your cross, follow me, follow Jesus. Social, you see, all these churches have been indoctrinated by, by Marxists. It's been going on for 75 years. They got into the seminaries. They got into the pulpits. All through the Bible, wherever, wherever the word of God was being preached, 
the Judaizers, the Sadducees, all kind of groups would always come in and follow to twist the gospel. Please, people, if you read your Bible, it's all throughout the Bible. The other problem, as you said, real believers will leave, but there's so many people with itching ears. They're there because this is what they want to hear. This is the direction they want to go, which leads to this question. What is the solution, Bishop Jackson? How do we get America to turn this around? As you just said, it's got to be it's got to come from the followers of Christ because they're the only ones that have the light. How do we get this turned around to get people to understand that God and government must work in conjunction with each other? Well, I know that, you know, Gary, it's not it's not a single thing. It's going to take a multiplicity of things. But these are the things that I would say are most important. And you mentioned it earlier. One is prayer. We've got to continue to seek God's face in behalf of our beloved country. You know, Jesus said to the people of Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not. And uh, I've often said, I believe God is saying the same thing to America, how I would have gathered you together, but you would not. Well, we've got to pray that our people will awaken and hear the call of God and answer that call and that God will withhold the hand of judgment, which frankly, in many ways, America deserves. I mean, we've killed, what, 60 million babies uh, and, and we've we've completely rebelled against God's order for the family and for and for gender and sexuality. There's a lot for our country to answer for. But we've got to pray, Lord, withhold the hand of judgment and give us your people the chance to set the ship of state right. So that's one. But from the bottom up, people have got to stand up and step up and speak up. But, you know, we've also got to elect people who understand that this is not just a political matter, but this is a spiritual and cultural issue. And they've got to be attuned to the fact that we're not only fighting to change the politics, but really to change the spiritual condition and the and the culture of our country back to, as you said in, in your opening remarks, a Judeo-Christian-based culture, because that's what we're moving away from, and that's the source of all of our problems. Uh, and I mean, so I say those two things are absolutely essential. And then people, d- good, decent people have got to run for Christians, have got to run for office, get involved in your school boards, get involved in your city councils, make your voices heard. Don't let them cow you. Don't let them uh, 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 turn you into a person who says, well, you know, we've kind of lost it now. Let's just go along with what we've got. No, don't do that no matter what. And the last thing I say is, look, don't send your children to one of these secular schools public uh, so-called or government uh, schools, uh, 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 preschool through 12, or to one of these colleges that is going to try to turn your child into a Marxist revolutionary. Uh, Homeschool, use Christian schools, send your child to a Christian college. Don't give your money to these secular institutions that are indoctrinating our children rather than educating them. So this stuff is without a miraculous awakening. I really believe the country can be turned around in a slow, steady effort, but it's going to take a generation to do that. So I'm also believing God for a great awakening in the country that brings about a sudden and dramatic change of heart. You're so right, Bishop Jackson. I wish you were. I wish you were right. You know, on the number. But I wish you were right about this. But unfortunately, the babies. You got to double that number. It's it's over 100 million. It's 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 a shame. And and Jesus said, "What you do to the least of these, you do to me." And people, if you're not, if you don't know your Bible, there were two instances in which 
leaders snuffed out kids from one and a half years old to anybody who was male and anybody who was in the womb. First time they went after Moses. They went after Moses. Pharaoh, oh, there's going to be a deliverer. Everybody had anybody a year and a half to in the womb kill. Then the second time it was Herod. You're trying to get the baby Jesus. Don't these people understand? Well, I know they don't understand. They don't understand. Well, kill all the babies. You know, killed all the babies. This is a satanic thing. Now, you brought up about the Judeo-Christian values of this country. And just to show you how the, the forces of evil are against that, we just had a president in Donald J. Trump who tried to bring back Judeo-Christian values, who brought back Christmas, who brought back, we're going to talk about, say, God in this country, brought, wanted to make America exactly what it was supposed to be, a country unto itself. American nationalism, that has nothing to do with thinking we're better than this or that in the other world. It just means taking care of yourself first. And then one of his first moves was to move the embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and look at how the left went bonkers over this guy. That's what that was all about, trying to bring back Judeo-Christian values and look at the pushback. Oh, yeah. Look, you heard uh, Kamala Harris when this young woman said, you know, the, the, uh, the Israel is committing genocide against the Palestinians. And instead of the vice president of the United States correcting her, saying that is absolutely not true. Israel is under attack on all sides and trying to defend itself against its enemies. And, and Palestinians can be citizens in Israel, but is but but Jews can't be citizens can't be in right. Palestinian territories. Instead, she said, oh, your truth needs to be heard. So, I mean, you're, look, you're, you are absolutely one of the principles of Judeo-Christian values is there is such a thing as truth and the truth matters. But from the left's perspective, truth doesn't exist. And the only thing they want people to adhere to is what they say is right, uh, which is just it is so evil and wicked. You know, I was thinking as you were talking about Psalm 917, it says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. This is not just bad. This is evil, evil. what they're trying to do, because they're trying to make America forget God. But the results, according to Scripture, is to be turned into hell. And I don't want our nation, Gary, and I know you don't, and your many listeners don't want America to be turned into hell. We want America to be a shining city on a hill. Amen. You have it there. You're, you're dead right about that. Bishop Jackson, thank you for coming on. You're always welcome to come on. Please tell people about your organization, Stand, and your radio show, and anything else you'd like to promote and how to reach you. Absolutely. Thank you, Gary. Well, look, if people want to connect with anything I'm doing, we have a, a beautiful app now. They can go to their app store, either the Apple or the Google store, and just put in E.W. Jackson. It'll bring up the app. It'll tell them where my speaking engagements are. It'll it'll give them access to I do a morning podcast called Wisdom Awakening at 830 each morning. Uh, I have the, the Awakening on American Family Radio at 1 p.m. Eastern Time every day, Monday through Friday. And yes, Stan, staying true to America's national destiny. They can find out more about that at standamerica.us. And by the way, I'm really excited about this too, Gary. We've formed something now called Youth Taking a Stand. 
And we've got teenagers to 25-year-olds coming together and talking about the issues and how to reach their generation. Because as you know, the devil has just done a job convincing so many of our young people that secular humanism and atheism and, and godlessness and homosexuality and hatred of America, that these are, these are cool now. These are the things to be. And yet there are plenty of young people out there who feel a little bit alone because their peers may, may, don't understand where they're coming from. And we're trying to knit those young people together to stand up for patriotism, for faith in God, and for the things that their families and their parents have instilled in them. So they can find out more about that at uh, standamerica.us. There you have it, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Thank you very much. You're always welcome to come back. And God bless you and your family. And keep spreading truth and stand being that, that shining light on a hill. Because if that light of Christ gets doused, we are finished. Thank you so much, Gary, and I'll leave you with this. We cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side. There you go. And that's the key. God's not on our side. See, it's not about being America, God being on America's side. That is nothing. <laughs> we have to be on God's side, which means we have to come back to holiness and righteousness, and then God will fight the battle for us. Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you, Gary. You're welcome. People think they want God out of government. But do they really? Imagine a nation without Christians being teachers, doctors, lawyers, politicians. I don't want to live in that world, and my next guest does not either. Jack Hibbs is the founder and senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Geno Hills, located in Southern California. What began as a home Bible study from Calvary Chapa Cosa Mesa in 1988, has now, through the Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, has seen tremendous growth from a handful of adults to ministering to thousands. The weekly teaching goes beyond the walls of the church and out to Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and Australia, as well as throughout the United States by radio, Facebook, YouTube, and now podcasts. He's best known for his passionate, expositional teaching delivered in a way that reaches the old and the young alike and is a sought-after conference speaker who maintains an active speaking schedule. And one of the reasons I listen to and love Pastor Jack Hibbs is because exactly like I just told you, he delivers the gospel not only in megadoses but in a way that anybody can understand it. I am so happy to have to the show, Pastor Jack Hibbs. Well, I am honored. My goodness, that introduction got me excited. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to have you here. And, and you know, that this topic of God and government, should religion and politics mix? It always has mixed. In fact, let's go back <laughs> to the to a vote of epic proportions. A lot of people don't look at this as a vote, but it was a vote in the New Testament when Pontius Pilate stood up and said, hey, I got an insurrectionist and a murderer over here, Barabbas, and I have Jesus, who they say, or he says he's king of the Jews. For the feast, right. I'm going to release one of them. Who do you want me to release? That was a vote, and it was very political, right? Because the Pharisees and the and Pilate, for different reasons, wanted Jesus out of the way. Am I correct? 
You are absolutely correct. And in fact, while you're citing that, how about this? When Jesus was asked, and remember, the context says that the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees tried to get Jesus stuck in a trap, that they summoned for a coin. They asked for a coin. The question was being, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus said, give me a coin, which is interesting. He didn't even have a coin. He had to ask for a coin. And he says, whose inscription is on this? And everybody shouted, Caesar. And what he responds in is a mind blower. Jesus says, render then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, every Jew in the audience took a gasp. We don't have that recorded in Scripture, but we know this. Every Jew jaws dropped because this is what that means. Jesus said, hey, give Caesar his coin. It's got his face on it. But render to God the things that are God's. Caesar's face, your face, this coin, your coin, this world belongs to God. Caesar's coin, Caesar, Caesar's salad, Caesar's palace, it all belongs to God. And every Jew knew that. And we missed that in the Western world. We think, oh, look, separation of church and state, keep politics out of government. Jesus said it all belongs to him. There's nothing sacred and secular. It's all sacred to God. This is true. And, you know, what is scary right now is you have people saying, what's wrong with America? We're going socialist. The Marxists have taken over. Of communists. The babies are killing babies. Uh, yep. You know, marriage. What What is going on here? And don't they understand God is truth. And if you remove God's truth, all you're going to have is the lawlessness that man has fallen into since the fall in the garden. Nothing's changed, right? It's amazing. You are so correct. So everyone's throwing their arms up in the air and wondering, how in the world did we get here? Well, it's very simple for us who know the Bible. God was evicted years ago out of the classroom. His, his doctrine of in the beginning God created, well, in the 1930s, we got to get rid of that. And we got rid of the definition of marriage, Genesis chapter 1. You can't have that. Ten Commandments makes people uncomfortable. Got to get rid of that. Everything about God that we've gotten rid of as a nation, note the fallout. I mean, look at just the sociological science of it all. Eject God from culture, and you've got mayhem. I may be wrong about this, but I think it was Norman Geisler who said, when you kill God in the minds of men, then men kill men. And that's what's happened. If God's dead, then it's the survival of the fittest. We go animal on one another. And that's what we're seeing. It, we're seeing it. It's very, very scary. Uh, Pastor Hibbs, I've been saying ever since I became born again, a follower of Jesus in 1997, and started to understand what who God is and why we're here and understanding that we were born in the only nation that was ever birthed under Judeo-Christian values, the only nation born free, I came to understand that everything is politics. It's amazing how people yep. will say to me, well, the only two topics I don't discuss are religion and politics. And I've never heard, they're all Democrats. About 500 has said that to me, they're all Democrats. Will you please explain, if you agree, 
why everything in life is is political, because it seems, doesn't God have a point of view on everything? This is one reporter's opinion. This is, this is my opinion. Number one, we know that God created government. It's found in the book of Exodus. It's crystal clear. God's the inventor of government. What has happened to government is that it's been, it's been um, hijacked by man's politics. So when you say, I don't think we should mix the two, what's happened is that we have got two religions going on. We've got the religion of truth and we've got the religion of man. We've got God in the Bible with capital G, and we've got God with a little g called government. And there are those who do not want God to get back involved in his government. They don't want him in it. And so uh, what is going on is man's making his own decisions. The Bible tells us that when God is removed from the world, from the culture, from our minds, that man does what is right in his own eyes. And so this is what we're watching. This is what we're seeing unfold. You cannot separate the two because wherever there is authority, control, direction, vision, you're going to have, according to the Bible, an antagonistic spirit, a dark spirit. We call it a demonic spirit that's going up against God's will. And we, we really see what, what J.R.R. Tolkien wrote about in The Lord of the Rings. We're the ones stuck in Middle Earth. There is this pull from the darkness beneath. There's pull from light from above. And you can't separate it. It's impossible to even pretend to separate it because everything you and I do is both religiously based and is government or politically connected from from me paying gasoline here in California at almost five gallons, five dollars a gallon, which is immoral to the price of food, to laws, uh, gun restrictions or freedom restrictions. Uh, someone's going to have to pick who's going to be the Lord. It's either going to be the Lord who's Lord and he's Lord overall, or we're going to eject the Lord and have these these demigod-type politicians called the shot, but someone's going to require you to bow. And one is loving and redemptive, and the other one is tyrannical and controlling. I hear you. You know, uh, my first guest on this podcast, Nick Searcy, who did the movie America, America, God Shed His Grace on Thee, that you were in, he spelled out about how the founding fathers got this right about yep. God and government and how the intent was that no state could declare a certain denomination to be right. the, uh, the, 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 the denomination of that state. So we all know anybody that's ever cared about this, that the Marxism the first thing Karl Marx had to do was neuter the church because people are either going to look to a benevolent God for their sustenance yep. or government, but not both. And then he had to take away the guns. You have to get rid of the guns because when you right. find out they've stolen your country, they'll have weapons and you'll have a peace shooter. We That's get right. that. We understand that. That's been taught here in Venezuela, Cuba, China. We could go up and down, all in and out. Why is it? that we're falling down this rabbit hole when we know better. This is why, and you know why, is because for decades we have divorced American history from our classrooms. Ask any 
freshman or senior in high school. Basic questions. Can you name three of the founding fathers? Can, can, you, can you tell us what the Revolutionary War was about? Do you understand the difference between liberty and tyranny? They cannot tell you. They can tell you about Marilyn Monroe. They can tell you about Lady Gaga. And I'm not joking, here in California. I get they've it. Got, they've got a paragraph about George Washington and a, and a page and a half about Marilyn Monroe. This is the problem. There has been a systematic reconstruction of a of a history that has no benefit and so we've got kids today not knowing how we got free why freedom's important that's why they're flirting with socialism because uh everybody likes free stuff but they're they've not been educated regarding how demonic and how wicked the tyranny that follows when somebody hands you something free. Nothing's free but salvation. And even that costs God the life of his son. His son. Amen. Yeah. You know, uh, W. Cleon Skousen in his book, The Naked Communist, which was written back in 1958, yeah. listed what the communists were in the process of doing, which was read before Congress back then, listed what the communists were doing to take over America. And one of their goals was to infiltrate the evangelical church discredit yep. the Bible. They have been so successful at this. My question to you as a, as, as a man of God, are you surprised that they have gotten into the church this far, gotten their Marxist social justice, whatever you want to call it, agenda into the evangelical church, into the seminaries, and how deep is this problem? Would it shock you if I were to tell you that I'm not surprised? No. I'm not I am not surprised. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. They did it back exactly. then. They did it back exactly. then. I had a, I, I'm not going to name the school, but it's a very famous uh, seminary here in Los Angeles. I had one of the professors tell me, you know, we're going so woke, we're going so progressive, we're going so off the rails, that the, that the sad thing is, if the church would have done its job in the beginning, there, would have, would, there wouldn't have been a need for seminaries to create now progressive uh, liberal pastors and missionaries that embrace uh, these new socialistic ways. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Look, Jesus told us, the Bible told us, that there's going to be a departure from truth. We're watching that happen. That this road has been, uh, been laid down for a long time. And you've got people like... Uh, Zelensky and, and the rules for radicals and all of these things that that if we like it or not, I know I'm going to step on some toes, but uh, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama almost worshipped this man who wrote this. Obama commented that it's one of the most important books in all of the world, and it's a book that anybody can buy right now. And the author dedicates it to Lucifer, the first rebel. <laughs> that ought to give you a clue. And that has been studied. It's being restudied. And uh, no, I am not surprised. My Bible told me these days would come. Yeah, and they're here. And, and Rules for Radicals, which was written by Saul Alinsky, uh, people, you, you have to understand something. What you're seeing now, all this pitting black against white, 
rich against poor, male against female. Yep. As as uh, Obama's uh, Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Saul Alinsky was the father of uh, of taking it to the streets and and getting all people to mobilize, you know, and using crisis and using pressure against each other. Right. Lighting the fuse, getting it to blow up and then having big government run in and take over. In his case, it was it was unions. Barack Obama took that, ran with it. And and the, the, the ultimate community organizers, Hillary Clinton, taught Saul Alinsky. Right. So this is one of the reasons when you see one thing happen, one thing happen, somebody shoots somebody or does something. All of a sudden, 27, 30 cities all around the United States, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people without mass, many of them protesting in the streets, you know, about the Constitution, about the founding fathers, the flag stinks, defund the police, get rid of ICE and open the border. This is converted. This this, this, this is intentional. It's Saul Alinsky, it's George Soros, it's big money behind this. And the only voice, right, Pastor Sid, uh, Pastor Hibbs, that can give out the truth is the voice of the Church of Jesus Christ, because we're really the only light that understands what's going on. And I really appreciate that you take this to your ministry, in your church, on radio, on television, in a strong way. Why and do you get big time pushback by people that saying, oh, Pastor Hibbs, you're going too far. You shouldn't shouldn't be mixing politics with religion. Well, I got to tell you, the the pushback, this probably will not surprise you because you're you're in the trenches. The pushback almost almost exclusively is coming from woke pastors. That's where I'm attacked from. I'm not atta- I'm not being attacked by communists. I'm not being attacked by uh, BLM. I'm I'm being attacked by pastors that are saying you shouldn't talk about stuff like that. You should leave that alone. That's that's not um, advancing the kingdom. But the funny thing is, we're the ones preaching the gospel and talking about these same things every Sunday. We're getting hundreds of people saved uh, each month. We're baptizing. You know, we we baptized over three thousand people in the last eleven months. So you can't tell me we're not preaching the gospel. But the, the truth is, and I, this is what I want to lay out to every pastor, is after you preach the gospel, what else do you tell your people to do? Because they've got to go, to, they've got to go back into the world on Monday. We're to preach the gospel, and we are to instruct them from the Word of God on how to live righteously. And so their kids, listen, show up to the school board meeting. Find out what's going on there. Join the PTA. You're going to be shocked. Start auditing your kid's school, your public uh, kid's school class, and find out what's being told to your kids. It's absolutely remarkable. And and look, uh, I may blow, blow up this program with what I'm about to say, but I got to tell you, every, please do. Everything that you just laid out regarding the the communist plan. A lot of people, you know, say you know this is it's the communist plan. It's the communists. I get it. I get it, but if you dig a little deeper, you'll also see that in the Muslim Brotherhood Charter of, of, of 1928, the Muslim Brother, everything that you saw in, in Seattle and Portland, in New York, everything you saw, listen now, listen everybody, everything you saw during an election year in America in 2020 was textbook Muslim Brotherhood tactics to create a problem 
And then they go into the municipalities, into the powers, and offer the solution. They create the problem, then they go offer an answer for the solution to the problem. And mark my words, I hope I'm wrong. Brother, I hope I'm wrong. But we've got an election year coming up in 2022. I'm expecting more of what we saw in 2020, riding in the streets, some sort of mayhem, because they're going to cause people to be fearful intimidated. And this is part of the communist slash Muslim brotherhood tactic to destroy a nation. And it's working. Pastor Hibbs, that won't come as a surprise to anybody that heard my previous live show, which aired for a year, because guests such as former FBI agent John Guandolo, former CIA operative Claire Lopez, and Bridget Gabriel, Brigitte Gabriel, the president of Act for America, continually came on my show telling people about the Muslim Brotherhood, how they're in your communities, they're in your city halls, they're in your government, they have the ear of key people, yep. and they have been getting their agenda pushed yep. in a way that you wouldn't understand behind the scenes that exactly. is breaking apart this nation from within. So you were in Nick's movie. Please tell us how you came to end up in Nick Searcy's film about uh, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. I watched you and it was wonderful. It looked like Nick was in your church. Did, how did yeah. that come about? And uh, I thought it was wonderful that you lended yourself to, to a movie with such a great cast and were able to give the Christian point of view. Well, uh, it, it's just this way. Nick began to, to hear about uh, our our church, our services. He he came a few times, listened in. Uh, he talked to some other uh, people who had been here. Kirk Cameron is very familiar with our church, and so he talked to a few people. You mentioned Brigitte Gabriel, good friend of ours. I know that Nick had spoken to her, so. When he reached out, um, yeah, we were just delighted. And uh, it took us a while to get together, but we're glad uh, that we did. And I, I love him. I love what he does. Yeah, yeah. And I love what both of you do. Now, please uh, tell the people what the solution is. We've talked about all the problems. Please yeah. provide hope and a solution. Yeah, here's the solution. It's absolutely simple. It's take the Bible for what it says, word for word. It's not a. It's 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 not a, for casual reading. It's life. Number two, do it. Jesus said, "Let your light so shine before men, that when they see your good works, they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven." An often misunderstood verse. The reference is in the Day of Judgment. Let your light so shine before men. That's right now. Go shine the light. Go make your voice heard. Vote pro-life. Find out in your community uh, who calls the shots. Listen to what they're saying. Challenge them. Ask questions. Ask them why are they doing this. Uh, if you don't like it, run for office yourself. I am not kidding. T teach your children. The number one thing that you can start today is to detox your kid. When they get home from public school today, you need to sit down with them for an hour and, and take them through a detox program of that the founders were not a bunch of mean, ugly white guys who had to have slaves, but 
they were guys who saw what God wanted to do in this country to liberate slaves, to unteach your kids the the indoctrination that's happening. If you're not doing that in your own home right now, or at least if you're not willing to start doing that right now, then I don't see much hope. But I do believe, based upon God's Word, if we start teaching our kids the truth today and find out what's happening in my local government, if we all did that in our local government and attended a church that was Spirit-filled, believed the Word of God, and preached it like there was no tomorrow, brother, and I mean laying it out, love, truth, holiness, righteousness, sin, repentance, and glory— If we don't get back to that, then I don't see any hope for America. But if we do, listen, God could press the pause button on this moment of crazy and give us another generation. You're you're so right. And that I know you do that, Pastor Hibbs. And now I I have to throw this out. One question, because of what you said, what pastors need to preach. There are just so many churches now that I never hear the word sin, and I never hear the word hell. Jesus talked more about hell in the Bible than he did heaven. What the heck is going on here? Uh, We have now fallen for a culture that uh, pastors are very concerned about social comments on their Facebook page. They're concerned about tweets. They're concerned about someone's comments. They're concerned about being befriended or not being liked. Listen, you know, the fear of man is a snare. So we've got pulpits, we've got pastors that are terrified because instead of them managing social media to advance the gospel, they they fell into the quicksand of being brought to the knees by some knucklehead somewhere criticizing their sermon because they did mention hell or sin. And we've got to get pastors back into the pulpit that are fearless and that know that they're going to answer to one, there's going to be one critic in the end that they're going to answer to. Amen it's to not that. The guy, it's not, not some guy in, some, in their grandmother's basement. It's going to be the one sitting on the throne of Almighty God. That's who we're going to answer to for what we taught. And pastors need to catch fire again. They need to take the calling, if in fact they're called, and they need to burn every Sunday as though it's their last day on earth. You, Pastor Jack Hibbs, telling it like it is. Pastor Hibbs, you're always welcome on the show. Please tell people how they can find and hear real life uh, and anything else that you would like to talk about, any websites or anything where they can reach you. It's real simple. All of our material, all of our links uh, come out of jackhibbs.com. If you just do jackhibbs.com, it will take you to our Facebook live streaming, YouTube streaming, uh, the various ministries we're involved in. Uh, Friday, I'll be down live streaming from the border. I'll be down with the border agents. They've asked for prayer, taking some pastors down there. We're going to stream that live. Uh, everything there, jackhibbs.com. They can follow us all along the way. That, Pastor Hibbs, thank you. You're always welcome back on the show. God bless you. God bless your lovely wife who you've been married to for over 40 years. Praise God for that. And God bless your family. Thank you, Gary. And the same on you. Thank you. There you have it. Pastor Jack Hibbs, going Bible, but the real Bible with the real truth, because people 
God blessed America. We don't want to lose this blessing. We can't let these Marxists, these communists, these socialists, these progressives, whatever you want to call them, they're all part of, 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 of one stank tree that we just have to get rid of. The light of truth comes from God through his son, Jesus Christ. This country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. We can't let them take it away from us. No way, no shape, no how. God and government, do religion and politics mix? You better not try and tell this guest that they don't because she knows better. Starr consulted on federal welfare reform programs in the mid-1990s. She was a featured speaker at the 1996 Republican National Convention. She has spoken at well over 250 college campuses. She regularly consults with both federal and state legislatures on market-based strategies to fight poverty. She has been a regular commentator on national TV and radio. She's written a ton of books, including Blind Conceit, Uncle Sam's Plantation, and White Ghetto. She's the founder and president of CURE, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, a Washington, D.C.-based public policy institute that fights poverty and restores dignity through messages of faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. And she has a television show that airs once a week, Cure America with Star Parker. I am bringing back, glad to talk to her again, Star Parker. Hello, Star. Hi, it's so good to be with you again. It's a good time to be between, with you, but Star. a lot of problems between. Yeah. A lot of problems. See, and, and, and part of the problem, just get right down to it, and then we'll get into why you come from where you come from. But please tell them from your point of view why politics and God must mix. Well, there are many reasons, um, because we don't want to separate the Lord and his blessings uh, out of our natural lives. I mean, our country was founded on principles of self-governing, you know, we the people. And you can't do that if you don't have a core principle belief system. You have to believe in absolutes. Not only did the founding fathers know this well, that in order for this experiment to work, you've got to have a moral people. And in order for people to build morality, they have to be a religious people, which we were during that time. The majority of Americans believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it was easy to then move into a country that was based in what I call three C's, the principles of Christianity, the virtues of capitalism, and the rule of law outlined in our constitution. Christianity Constitution, capitalism mixed well together and flourished the best country in the history of the world. When you try to separate it out, you start having kind of the problems that we have today, where you have bigger government playing the role of God. Uh, De Tocqueville, when he came into America to look and see what is such brilliance about, he knew that it was in the church. He said he went everywhere, but then he looked into the church and said, aha, I see it now. I know what happened. And what's interesting is that Barry Asmus, fast forward uh, from Tocqueville, you fast forward to just a few years ago, Barry Asmus went and wrote a book called The Poverty of Nations, because he went all over the world to see why is it that America works so much better than other countries. And then he determined that it wasn't even about religion. We want to talk about religion. There are a lot of religious countries around the world, but they're not as effective as 
our country because our country is rooted in the principles of Christianity, and that's what he discovers. So there is no wall of separating church and state. That lie is why we now have politicians thinking that they can make decisions for every single area of our lives. And in order for us to live under those decisions that they're making, we have to set aside the Bible, which is why we're now having a cultural war. Many Americans are not willing to do that. They do not want to set aside the Bible. So they understand that the culture war is about biblical and freedom or secular and status. That's why we fight it. Yes, indeed. And I'm glad you brought up the Tocqueville because he he said he saw the pulpits in America ablaze and he understood why America is great. And he said America was good because of this. But if we lost our Christian essence, America would no longer be great. America would no longer even be good. And unfortunately, we're starting to see that point of view. Please explain this to me. Exactly what you just said. Christianity constitutes capitalism. Why is it there are so many people who claim to be a part of the body of Christ that are willing to throw over Christianity the Constitution and capitalism and 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 go down this socialist rabbit hole if those are the staples of everything that not only this country was based on, but also that they understand that's what gives us our freedom and liberty. Why are they willing to throw it away? And I hope they're starting to see the light now that we've slid down this socialist rabbit hole. Well, I don't know that they'll see the light because you're saying why. There's one word to define why, and it's fear. That's why the Lord himself had to say many a times, often, the first word out of his mouth was fear not, because fear will drive you to make decisions that are based on emotions, based on your mind, based on your intellect. And so you find people that even though faith is in this space that you have to stretch and counter fear, they would rather go down this, I'd rather be popular in things that others tell me than to trust 100% in the Lord by faith. So we do have people, and they really do love God, but they're afraid. So they're afraid to push now to say, wait a minute, are the scientists right or is God right? They're afraid to say, wait a minute, what is this now that they have it, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion which is now taken over all of our corporations, taken over our colleges, and now parents are seeing that it's pushing now into K through 12. This is not a new messaging, what we're seeing in CRT. This has already been established since the 70s in every single corporation and in every single college. But people are afraid to push against it. They're afraid they may lose their big tithers in these churches. They're afraid they may lose their their livelihood if they are the tither in the churches. They're afraid that they're going to be distanced from their family if they speak out in truth. But, you know, the Bible, I, I like the disciples because they always came back to the same conclusion that, wait a minute, God is true and man's the liar. And the more they were persecuted, the more bold they became. And as a result of their boldness, fast forward 2,000 years or so, and I get saved while I'm listening to the lies of the left. I believed everything that they said, that my problems were someone else's fault, that America's so racist, I didn't need to mainstream, that I was poor because others were wealthy. And as a young woman hearing these lies, I just started living for today, fast-tracked my life into criminal activity and drug activity and sexual activity and abortion activity and welfare activity, until finally God got a hold of me and truth took hold, came inside, and I was born again. 
This is what they don't want to happen in our society, those left-wing progressives. They know that when people become born again, they become free. That means that now they can self-govern. Why do you think that in this bill they're trying to pass, they are going after every independent contractor? Why do you think that they allowed COVID to shut down the small businesses? The little coffee shop couldn't open, but Starbucks was open. So why do we think that? Because we know that freedom is consistent with faith, and it needs faith. It's the oxygen Faith is the oxygen of freedom. And so anything that God's enemies can do to keep you from exercising your faith and walk in fear, he's going to do. But that's really what's going on here. It boils down to fear. So we need to fear not, put our backs up and say, you know what, courageous people continue what we were laid out to do through the disciples who, after their Lord had gone, still continue to push their faith into now the world. It's the only thing that really transforms lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You hit upon several things here, and we're going to get into your background in a second, but I want to back up a little bit to what you said about fear, because you're so right. Even if you're not a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not born again, people, most everybody saw the Ten Commandments. And biblically, whether you get it out of the Bible, you can even see it in the movie, when they got to the Red Sea, they became afraid when they saw Pharaoh's army. And Edward G. Robinson, who was playing this character, Dathan, which I perceive as, you know, the Satan's dupe within the Hebrews, he's saying, and it's in the Bible. The people started questioning Moses. Now, they saw the 10 plagues. They saw him smoke Pharaoh's son. They saw Pharaoh say, get out and take all the take all our gold with you. And now they're at the Red Sea and they became afraid. And what exactly what you said? What did they say? Let's go back to Egypt. At least we can they have leeks and back. onions. They wanted to go back because they lacked faith. You're so correct about that. Look, look, that look what happened. You saw it. You saw it again when when you saw it again when Joshua and Caleb went in. They were the the others were afraid. And they afraid. would rather not go into the promised land, even though they had seen, as you just described, all the miracles of hand of God to say, "Come on, let's go do this." And they were so afraid that he could not allow that fear to go into that promised land. Right. So they had and to they, wander in that wilderness. Right. And, and they did it again with the disciples because, and this is the key point, <laughs> they did it again. When Jesus told them at the Last Supper, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be persecuted. People's like, no, Peter's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm not going to let that happen, Lord. And he said, look. Before before the cock crows, you're gonna you're, you're gonna say you don't even know me. He said, No, 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 these yeah. other disciples, no, no, I'm your I'm your ace, I'm your guy. <laughs> these guys over here, right. they may see, but the thing is, they didn't get it. And when he got arrested, they all ran. And 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 the thing was, you nailed it. Once Jesus went up on that cross, paid for our sins, came back, resurrected, and ascended. And then after Pentecost, when they were born again of the Holy Spirit, now they had the ability not to fear. And we right. know Christ. Well, only the ability, though, because us. of you know, we still have to fight it. We have right. to fight every Amen. single day. We have to fight Amen. It. this little what they're trying to do now to control people is, is unacceptable. But we ourselves have to fight it. And now people are being asked to decide if they're going to be forced to make a decision that they're still struggling over whether they should make or not eat, not pay their bills. This is a difficult decision that many Americans are being, and all around the world, are being asked to make and fear sets in. But you asked, there was a simple question about why would major Christians side with 
the enemies of God, it's because they're afraid. They're afraid. And Star, you brought up your background. I was that was going to be my next question because I mean this. I honestly mean this. The first time I ever heard you was on Dr. James Dobson's Focus on the Family. I heard you several times there. I got that CD. I was handing it out to everybody because your testimony, and I, I'm not saying this, I, I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. I could listen to your testimony 24 hours a day and never get tired of it. So tell people, because I know this is going to blow the, the you know. This this is really good. I, here's the power, the power of God through Jesus Christ. Please tell them who you were and who you are. Please explain your passing from darkness into God's marvelous light. Well, it's interesting you would say you have to, you can listen to it all day. I have to remind myself all day, especially when fear tries to get in. Every day I have to get up and make decisions on behalf of my I run a nonprofit. So therefore, every day is a new day, and it's in the political world. It's here in Washington, D.C. So every day, you don't know what you're going to deal with. So I'm constantly reminding myself that the Bible tells us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb that he did and the word of our testimony that he did for me. So yes, as I just described, I really got lost. I didn't. We, but this is one of the reasons that it's so important what the parents are doing now to protect their kids. I think we should get our kids out of these government schools Amen. because they're just not going to change. They're secular. They're pagan schools and you're not going to change them. You can run for school board all day, but the school boards are unionized. So it's all one big conglomerate. But when you don't give that kind of guidance, when you don't have a, 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 a root of why we believe what we believe, people will get lost. And I did not have that. And I got lost. And whatever reason my parents decided not to interject Christianity or any religion in our lives, I got lost. And when you get lost, it's because you just look outside and see what everybody else is doing. You need to know what to do. So you look outside and the people I was uh, hanging around and knew around were living real fast lifestyles. And, and this so was I, in Los Angeles, right? In, in, in LA? So Los I a ended up in Los Angeles. I was all over the place. I started my criminal activity in St. Louis, East St. Louis, Illinois. And I, I began um, my other my drug activity and my other activities in in high school in New Jersey. And by the time I ended up in Philadelphia and I'm in armed robbery, I needed to get out of town. So I got out of town real quickly, stole my brother's car and drove to California and then really got lost out in Los Angeles. Now I'm into the sexual activity. It wasn't until after the fourth time. I went into one of their so-called safe, legal, rare abortion clinics that I had a gut instinct that there's got to be something wrong with this. I mean, my goodness, this is nuts. Just living this lie of the left constantly. Somebody else telling you how you should decide about yourself and what it is you can or cannot even do. And so finally, I just decided, OK, I'm not going to board again, but I didn't change my behavior. So I was pregnant again very rapidly because I was very active and um, I ended up on welfare and I was living on welfare when God found me in that little dark hole that I carved out for myself. And I'm so thankful to today. And I remind myself all the time because if he can change me, he can change others. And that's why I talk about these things all the time. That's why I share my own story. And that's why I know that spirit of fear will grab people and make them make decisions that they ought not make. Even as Christian leaders, we have to be truthful. Star. There's no doubt in my mind, just like everybody, I have a testimony, everybody that Jesus Christ has reclaimed it has a testimony. That testimony allowed you to go back into the same communities from which you came with a new message. Now, please tell people 
especially if they haven't figured it out yet that you're black and I'm black. Please tell them what it was like when you went from the welfare state and being on the Democratic plantation to coming completely to the other side and going back into the predominantly black churches and into the neighborhood with a new message. Oh, it was hard. And, you know, in fact, I had to be, do a panel recently about cancel culture. And, um, you know, these new pups on the scene are get familiar with the left as they're putting up their little Internet stuff and finding out about cancel culture. I'm like, I was canceled, man, and I got born again my, from my own family. And then, like you said, your friends, everybody starts to run away. But it's just like when God said to uh, his disciples after all the people ran away when he said, now it's time to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They all ran away. Then he had to look at the disciples and say, are you going to run away too? And they knew they knew better. It's like, where would we go? So when you start thinking about putting your life in perspective, my new life, my new born again, didn't, didn't, uh, it, it mattered more to me that I lived that out than what others thought about me. But no, it's very difficult to go into the black community with these messages. But here's the thing. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. We, uh, last year during their so-called summer of love, uh, when they were peacefully protesting, uh, we put up billboards in some of the communities that were burnt down by these Black Lives Matters, as one of my board members calls them, uh, uh, Black Lion Marxists. And the Black Lives Matters demanded that the billboards were taken down. Because what did the billboards say? They said, you really tired of poverty? Then finish school, take any job, get married. Save and invest, give back to your community. And you then go. it had a little Proverbs 10-4, had a picture of a beautiful black woman on them, one of them, young woman. One had a beautiful black male, um, young male on them. And Black Lives Matter demanded that those billboards come down because they don't want any truth to get into these communities. But what we do know is the same way when Elijah was disappointed, he was just really looking for God's hand. The Lord told him, that he had 7,000 men who had not bowed to the Baal. Everybody was bowing to the God of whatever, the Baal. They were bowing to the God of science. They were bowing to the God of politicians. They were bowing to the God of entertainment. They were bowing to every single God that's out there and still out there in our culture, just more modern days, suppose. But he said, I have 7,000 who haven't bowed to the Baal. And when he opened his eyes, as God instructed him to do, he saw then Elisha who went off and sold everything to follow him. Well, I started really meditating on that, and that's how I came up with the concept for cure. Because I knew, because the pollsters had been asking for years that there were people out there in our community who haven't bowed to the bail. And so I started looking at what does that look like? What percentages of African Americans are are evangelical and conservative. And that number is a third. A third of black people have told pollsters year after year after year that they are evangelical and they are conservative. Now, they may not vote their values. They may not even understand enough about how the political process works and what it means to be affiliated with a party and or what their party is currently doing. But they tell pollsters that they're evangelical and conservative. They love God. They read the Bible. They go to church on Sunday morning. So I decided I'm going to go find their pastors. Their ha and then I started looking at how many they are. And there are four to 6,000 pastors over evangelical and conservative churches. No one's organized them. No one's educated them. No one's equipped them. So that's what CURE does. That's what CURE policy does through our clergy program. We have three programs. We have a policy program where we want to change the law so people can change their lives. We have a media program so we can 
get the message out to the general population that the answer to poverty is freedom and personal responsibility. It's not a welfare state. And then we have a clergy network that we want to go into these hard zip codes and change their community. And so we're looking for those those pastors. We know that when we get our list up to a thousand, it represents three million, and that will move any law here in Washington, D.C. You know, Star, you're doing what you're doing is is great. What's wonder it's wonderful. The thing that is concerning to me is you found you you found it. You 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 got saved, born again, and the spirit of the Lord led you to freedom and liberty. Uh, same with me. The the all it's scary that in within the framework of what would be considered predominantly black churches, and there should be no such thing, there should only be the church of Jesus Christ, because in Christ there's no male or female, black or white, rich or poor. We're all one in Christ. If you're really born again, if these pastors of up the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't have to go in there and tell them this. They should understand this on their own. And that's what's scary to me, that I just well, I look think- and keep watching the voting pattern that continues. Okay, because here you've got a couple of things going on. Because one, I say, I don't know about yourself personally, but I know with me, I didn't have any religion to get over. And so I think that religion is seeped into a lot of the denominations. And so they're, they're structures, they're businesses. And, you know, it's kind of like McCoby argued in his book. He said, you know, great movements can become a business, and then that business can become a racket. And that's what has happened. Now church life in some of these denominations is just a racket. They get paid off. I mean, look what Kamala Harris is doing right now in Virginia, sending in videos to the paid off pastors who will then send ill messages of death and destruction to their community to distract them from the truth and devote their values so they can drive a nice fancy car. It's really sick, but that's what's at root of it. So the people don't know. Uh, and you, once our lights are on, you think that, well, how come everybody else doesn't see it? Because the lights have to come on. It's kind of like the eunuch when he was riding down the street and he saw Philip and Philip said, hey, do you know what you're reading? He said, how would I know if someone doesn't explain it to me? And so that's when Philip explained to the eunuch. Um, so we have a, a job to do to get truth out. People are, are on the road to discover truth, but if truth is not delivered over their pulpit, yes, they can be very, very lost. So a lot of these pastors are deliberately deceiving their congregations and people who have been brought up in certain denominations is very difficult for them to break free because they really they're stuck. It's hard because they're afraid. They're afraid of the uncertainty. They're afraid to leave. Grandmama was an AME. How am I going to now not be? That's what's happening. And there is um, and it's a war. It's just a war. Uh, so you have to fight it and 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 and, and want to love truth more than you know what it is your pastor, frankly, in your denomination. And not only so that, it's that Jesus right. Yes, Jesus said Jesus you have to love himself. me yeah. more than mother, father, sister, brother, anybody. Otherwise, you're going to make the wrong decisions. Yeah. To follow me, it comes yeah. at a price and a cost. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing, Star. My final question: Please tell people. How people that are just hearing this for the first time or really think that religion and politics should mix, please give them a blueprint to try and come out of that way of thinking. And then also, please tell people how they can reach you, your shows, you know, and everything that you're involved in. Well, the reach me is just curepolicy.org. Uh, they can look up Star Parker and they're going to find curepolicy.org and everything is there. And 
and comes out of there, including blackcommunitynews.com, which is a, a cure project. Um, but on the question of how we become a God-fearing nation of we the people that are personally responsible with the decisions that we make and the decisions for our families and our communities, is we limit the role of government. We've got to limit Amen. the role of government. It's not about whether politicians or the government should be Christian. It's about having Christian people in power. Christian people who really understand um, e pluribus unum, they understand markets, they understand limited role of government, and they understand eternal truths. When you have people that have that type of deep understanding in power, then you have less government, and less government means more freedom in our individual lives. There you heard it, and and this is what we need to do. Stark, thank you for coming on. You know, you're always welcome. Anytime you want to bring your bullhorn on on the show and shout <laughs> from the shout from DC, and, and if you need us to get you out of there, we'll 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 send some uh, we'll we'll send somebody in there to get you out to protect you because you, you you we need you. We need people like you that do what you do that are fearless. Well, thank fear you. can only that the lack of fear can only come from the Lord. When I first started well, the show, got, I was scared to death. You got to yeah. have them in Washington, too. I know people try to get us up out of here and say nothing good is in Washington. Um, you know what? We're Cinnabon's grace much more, and it's Sodom for sure. But I, I just feel that I'm called to be here for now. I know that I don't live here. I still live in California, so I leave Sodom and go to Gomorrah. But I do know that I have to be here for now. And there are many, many God-fearing people doing the right thing and, and navigating through to keep truth alive. Uh, here in Washington. So I just wanted to point that out because we get a bad rap often. And I understand. And, and, <laughs> right. And people, so you know, I, I before we came on, I made a joke to Star about still being in D.C. that uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe she couldn't get out because uh, the administration put that wall up that, that, that <laughs> she can't get out. But no, see, because if we leave, there is no light of truth. We need yeah, that, that yeah. light of Jesus Christ needs to be everywhere because that is the only beacon of light left. So thank you that's, once again that, for coming on. That's why they hope on. it happens. That, that, that's why they hope it happens. That's why they're. That's why they're. They're insisting on on uh, mistreating the J Sixers. That's why they were. They were vilifying the Trump voices. That's what. That's what they're trying to do is get people to run away. What the left doesn't understand though is MAGA's a movement. And that mission is not in one man. They're not going to put it up. I mean, look what happened even with our own Lord. <laughs> it kept spreading anyway. Freedom will continue to spread. Christianity will continue to spread. It really doesn't matter what laws they pass, but we're going to try to fight their laws so that they don't damage more people between the time that Christianity and freedom are spreading. That is definitely the truth. Star, once again, thank you very much. It was an honor to have you back on the show. Thank you. Talk to you soon. God bless you and your family. Star Parker, everybody. When you talk about God and government, there's a lot of people in the United States that doesn't understand why the two must go together if you want to have a free nation. But when I decided to do this topic, this woman had to be a guest because she knows both sides of the coin. She's an international human rights attorney, a sought after international keynote speaker and the author of a riveting book and the president of Virginia Prodan Ministries. She's a graduate of the Bucharest Law School that's in Romania, and she got her Juris Doctor degree from Southern Methodist University that's in Dallas at the law school. 
She was the focus of a full-length documentary. She's been interviewed on Fox News by Glenn Beck, as well as a wide variety of political and Christian television and talk radio shows. This woman dared to defend Christians in communist Romania. And for that alleged treason, Virginia was kidnapped, beaten, tortured, and placed under house arrest, where she literally came within seconds of being assassinated by a henchman ordered to kill her by the ruling dictator, Nikolai Sosescu. Her book, Saving My Assassin, is one of the most incredible true stories you'll ever read, and it's vivid proof that nothing is impossible with God. I am happy to bring to the show Virginia Prodon. Thank you so much for inviting me again, Gary. I am here and I'm very honored to be together with many, many patriots, many people that are able to see that God and government will go together in order to protect our freedom. This is a fact, but see, it's a fact that a lot of Americans don't understand because although we're going down this communist rabbit hole now, we haven't been in a situation yet that you were raised in. Tell them about being a, a young adult in communist Romania and tell them what got you in trouble to the point that you, what are you, about four, four foot ten? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you have a six foot five assassin with a gun pointed right at your head. Tell them the story. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I will try to do it as fast as possible, but people can read it all the details in a saving my assessing my uh, uh, my memoir. They can find it in VirginiaProdanBooks.com slash product slash book. But to make it uh, uh, the story short, uh, is uh, I grew up in uh, communist Romania, socialist and communist Romania. And from a young age, I noticed my parents being fearful outside of home and doing whatever the government asked them, just being uh, submissive to the government and giving their rights to, to the government. Not only my parents, but everybody around me. But I also noticed that my parents and relatives inside of their home will criticize the government and will whisper the truth that the government will never stop taking the rights from them. And as a kid, you can imagine, young adults, you can imagine that I was fearful. I realized that I don't count for my parents. They will not stand up for me. They were too fearful. And uh, the government will just not count me as a human being. Uh, and they will train me, maybe like them, to like my parents or relatives, to submit to them. And that insecurity also led me to the desire to grow up and not to be like my parents. So I noticed a fire in me to find out the truth, the truth about why people know the truth, but they are afraid to talk about the truth. And somehow I uh, 
in my mind, I thought that the best way is to go to law school, to find out the truth in law books, and um, to speak up for uh, uh, for um, for the truth. And I went to law school, and I will emphasize to your audience that it's very important for them to read Saving My Assassin, my memoir, because going to uh, school, choosing your profession, and uh, socialists and communists is not like in uh, capitalists, where you decide. And the socialists and communists, the government decides your profession. And uh, I will let them to discover how they did that. But I went to law school. I studied law really well in the Bucharest, Romania. And of course, after I graduated again, under socialist, the government dictates where you're going to practice. It's not like in capitalist where you can be hired by a law firm or you can open your own law firm and so forth. It's totally different. So I started to practice law and very Hopeful every single morning, I will think today it's going to be the day when I will find the truth and speak up for the truth. And a year or a year and a half in in this process, one day I came to my law office so discouraged, and I put my uh, briefcase on my secretary's desk. And uh, even though I'm not a quitter, I said to her, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I can't find the truth. And she looked at me like, what are you dreaming about? Come back to reality. And she gave me three files and said, uh, there is a, a client in your office and there will be two others coming to see you. So I took the files and thinking nobody cares. And I went inside of my office and, and I realized the client that was there, I had been working with him for a very long time and many times I uh, I thought that this client, which was a very good client, had a very good case, but his manner, his way of looking at life was different. I thought that he was crazy. So I always thought that it was my job to fix this man, but I never had the time. So because there were clients always coming one after another. Uh, but that day, I was so disappointed and ready to give up as I walked into my office and I saw his face full of joy and peace. And um, I I look at him and I said, I wish I had in my life what you have. And he started to write something on a piece of paper and give it to me and said, do you go to church? I remember looking at him, staring at him, not saying anything, but inside of me, I was thinking, I know you are crazy. I don't know why I asked him. But as he gave me that piece of paper, he said, this is the address of our church. I would love for you to come Sunday. And here I am saying, yes, I will come to your church because I was that desperate to find the truth. Is that the man that led you to Christ? Is that the man that led yes. you to Christ? And that's how you became yes. a Christian? Okay, you know, yes. we need I, you to jump ahead, okay? He led you to okay, Christ, so, became a Christian. He, then he how did that get Christ. you in trouble? Oh, I started to defend Christians. and uh, I have cases after cases after cases. And sure, surely soon I became the target of the um, socialist and communist government 
they uh, um, put microphones in my home and my house. They uh, search my house and uh, my my office when I was not there. They uh, surrounded me by uh, guards. Uh, even in the courtroom, I was surrounded by guards. Um, I was arrested and tortured. I was placed under house arrest. And the last thing that the dictator did, he sent a so-called client to my office, who was not a client. He came exactly when my uh, assistant left the office. Uh, and as soon as we were just by ourselves, he pulled the gun and pointed at me and said, I'm not your client. I'm here to kill you. And he said how the dictator sent him and that by doing and killing me, he will be number one in dictator's um, military. And he was so happy. And in all this, I was, I, I thought that I'm going to die. I, I was shaking and but in all those noise inside of me and outside of me, as he was screaming, I heard the voice of God saying, share the gospel. And I did. And he accepted Christ. And I will share one more secret. Years later, he came to Dallas, Texas, as I became an American uh, attorney in, uh, in Dallas, Texas. And he came with a case, but I didn't recognize him until he showed me his uh, uh, Securitate ID, which I recognized his face. And as he heard that I uh, was writing my book, he asked me to let him write a chapter in my book, which he did. So now you have not only my perspective of that day, but also his perspective and also what God is doing in his life and in his family's life. Because so, he, became um, a, he became a Christian too. People, yes. you gotta understand yes. this. This, this is, Hollywood couldn't even make this story up. Virginia is facing Nic Nicolae Sesescu, the, 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 the Romanian dictator. He finally had enough of her. So he, he sends an, an assassin over and, and he's got a gun on this poor little woman, <laughs> young woman, and, and he's, he's ready to pull the trigger and she witnesses Christ to him. He gets saved, puts the gun down, and lets her go. She does get out of yeah. the country, ends up, it's a long story that got her to America, but she got to America, ends up in Dallas, goes to law school here, and please tell people, what is your assessment of the United States you came to and the United States that you see now, and how does God and government tie into that in, unfortunately, a very bad way. Yeah. When I came to the United States of America, I came as a political refugee with a special visa for President Ronald Reagan. And uh, when I became a citizen as an honor from the American government, I was offered and we had a private citizenship ceremony, which I never heard before. I was not, um, um, I didn't have a ceremony with 500 people, just with my family. And uh, there was a private ceremony because the government said, we want to honor you for fighting for freedom. And 30 years later, we see America being changed so much. People are brainwashed. 
about socialism and everything. And I want to emphasize why people need to read my, my memoir. Because the way I wrote my memoir is I'm taking the, the reader into socialism and communism and they walk with me. And they can learn what the reality of the socialist is. Also, when they read the chapter of my assassin, they will realize, because he described how, as a young person, he was, he was brainwashed by the government. He was giving so-called free stuff. And that changed him into a monster, to killing, to lying, to do things against people. And he had to do it in order to keep those. If people, young people, believe that free stuff will remain free stuff and not um, attachment to to them by the government, if the socialist government takes power in America, they are lying to themselves. They are going into a prison land that they build for themselves. They are giving up the freedom that people in other countries will die for. It's a shame that young people or people that are in love with socialists believe and are ready to accept the lies. It's true that the government that lies about socialists are doing the same thing that the socialists and communists for years have done it in Russia, in Romania, in many in China, in many, many uh, Venezuela and many other countries. So they have practice. They know how to lie. They know how to attract people. They know how to divide. They know how to replace God with the government. And you become a puppet in their hands. Virginia, that is the key statement right there. The key statement that you just said, they know how to replace God with the government. Because when Karl Marx started all this crap, the first thing he had to do was neuter the church because he realized either you're going to look to a benevolent God for your sustenance or you're going to look to government, but not both. And the second thing they have to do, they want to take away your guns. So when they steal your country and become a dictatorship, a socialist or communist dictatorship, you don't have the guns to take your country back when you realize you lose lose your freedom. Is that the main yes. point? That government and yes. the whole socialism communist, please explain that, why they have to be God. Because they want to replace, they can, first of all, the government cannot control a Christian faithful to God. And for that reason, they will oppress us. They want to make themselves as person, as a government or as, or as a leader, the one who provides everything and, in fact, will provide the prison land for you. And the leaders of the socialists will live above the law and will take everything, including your own life. Kids will be taught to spy on parents and, and uh, to uh, lie in order to be even promoted or to receive candy or whatever they will, will do at school. When you, when you um, are faithful to God, you know that God is the resource, you go and you become part of the uh, school board, 
you protect your family, and even if the government persecutes you, you stand under God's wings and support the consequences, because at the end, God wins. Christ never lost a battle. So the safest way for any American is to honor God, to stand up for what is is right, because religion and politics, they go together. That's the reason why we are where we are right now, because many Americans believe in the lie that, uh, you know, if you are Christian, you shouldn't be involved in politics. No. I was a troublemaker. I defended Christian and human rights cases in Romania. I do the same thing here. I am involved with Alliance Defender Freedom. I am part of um, representing my district. I go to school board, and everybody needs to do this. We have to train our children what America is and what stands for, and not let the school train our kids that we should be divided uh, among ourselves. No. When God is your resource, that you have peace, you have joy, you have contempt under any circumstances, and victory is ours. If you don't remember anything, remember this. I am under five feet tall. I was a woman in Romania, and I fought against a powerful dictator who had everything at his fingertips. He is dead for 30 years, and I'm alive. And I share the power of God and the power that God can have in your life. God changed Romania through me, and God can change America through me, through you, to each one of us, where he placed us. Our life is important, and our religion and being involved in politics, in school, in our neighborhood, is important. We have to stop believing the lie that religion and politics are not going together. Amen for that. Virginia, tell people about your uh, TV show or your show, Courageous Leadership with Virginia Prodan, and how they can get your book, Saving My Assassin, and anything else you would like to promote. Thank you so very much. I have a podcast. It's an audio and video. It's called Courageous Leadership with Virginia Prodan. And people can buy books directly from my website, and I can sign them and autograph them. And they can go to virginiaprodanbooks.com slash product slash book. And I will be more than happy if you somebody just bought 20 books just before the show. And she said, I buy one for me and the rest for for other people, because when you give them as a gift, your people are more encouraged to read the book. And I am telling you, uh, this book not only helps people to find a savior, but also changes the votes of people, because people realize what socialism and communism is all about. There you have it. Virginia, God bless you and your family. Thanks for coming on. I will most definitely bring you back on because you have a voice that people need to hear because you've been on both sides of the fence. You've seen freedom here in the United States. You were raised in a country without freedom. And I know, you know, this rabbit hole we're going down now 
will end up turning us into Romania if we don't do something about it. So once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so very much, Gary. And let me tell you something that uh, people need to know. I came to this country empty-handed, no money, not knowing English. And I went back to law school. I have a law firm. I wrote a book. And I raised three children. My first daughter graduated from the same school in Dallas, Texas, SMU. My second daughter from Harvard Law School. And my son from United States Air Force Academy. This is the best country in the world. It's time for us to recognize and keep it and even make it even better. There, amen to the amen to that. Virginia Prodon, everybody. Thank you very much, Virginia. Thank you, Gary. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Now, people see this is important to understand because this is somebody who's lived it. This isn't somebody where everybody's saying, yeah, well, it is Cuba, Venezuela. Yeah, we don't know anybody. Here's somebody that's lived it, survived an assassin's attempt to kill her and is here to tell about it. This is a very courageous and patriotic woman in a country that doesn't want to lose our freedom. We have to fight for this, people, while we still have time to do so. What a lineup we've had. We've had uh, men of God. We've had person that survived a stare-down assassin in communist Romania. We've had a woman that came out of the streets. And we had an actor who made a movie and a great movie. And now we're going to bring on somebody that's going to just tie it all together. Dr. Steve Turley has a PhD from Durham University. He's an internationally recognized scholar, speaker, and an author who is widely considered one of the most exciting voices in today's intellectual dark web. I don't know why it's dark. We'll let him explain that. His popular YouTube channel daily showcases his expertise in the rise of nationalism, populism, and traditionalism throughout the world. Through his website, and please check it out, turleytalks.com, you can access his videos, podcasts, and writings on civilization, society, culture, education, and the arts. And he plays the guitar. The author of more than 20 books. I am glad to have an opportunity to talk again to Dr. Steve Turley. Oh, Gary, it's great to be back with you. It's been too long, my friend. I agree with you, Dr. Steve. And, you know, we all thought that that Trump was going to win and and we know he won and we're still waiting for something to happen. But in the meantime, one of the big conversations has always been about God and government do religion and politics mix. So I'll just drop the mic and let you say what you want to say and, uh, about that topic. And then in general, an overall statement, and then we'll get into some direct questions. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That's um, it, well, it's a very good question. It's a question we're asking more and more today is, is, you know, you and I've talked about this whole phenomenon known as retraditionalization, where more and more populations are going back to their customs, their cultures, their traditions, most particularly their religious traditions as uh, mechanisms of resistance against what are considered the anti-cultural processes of globalization and its secular aristocracy. I mean, I, I need not tell you who is ruling 
ruling Afghanistan right now. I mean, the the world is moving as it were back. Or I like I don't even like calling it moving back as much as it's returning more and more to where we were before the rise of modern secularism. Modern secularism is, in the words of one book, has exhausted itself. I'm thinking the book, The the Exhaustion of Modernity. It's exhausted itself. It's gone as far as it can go. And we're now going back to the eternal frames of reference that come to us from the, the world's great religions. And in our Western tradition, and particularly in our Christian faith, uh, government has always had a a very important, um, uh, or I should say, Christianity has always had a very important role in redeeming government. Christ is, of course, King of Kings, and so the the notion, Amen. right? The notion there is that um, every human institution uh, is redeemed. If you can even believe, I mean, just you take a step back. In many respects, people don't recognize how political the cross. Was the cross was a symbol of political persecution, mm-hmm. and so when you have the redemption of the cross, where it, the most ugly, horrific instrument of torture imaginable being transfigured into a tree of life, uh, how would we not want Christianity to touch our politics? Uh, so from Athanasius onwards, Athanasius writing in the, the beginning of the fourth century, um, he really articulated a, a distinctively Christian political theology that basically saw um, the state as representing uh, earth, as it were, and the church representing heaven. The state represents humanity. Uh, the church uh, represents divinity. And both uh, both those, what we would consider to be polar opposites almost, they come together in Christ himself, who is fully God and fully man. And so uh, as uh, he is king of kings and lord of lords, he uh, he is the one who bridges the gap between the state uh, and the church. They both re- keep their distinction, just as Christ's humanity and his divinity both keep their unique distinctions. But they can't be separated anymore uh, now that the incarnation has happened. Heaven and earth have been united in Christ. And so now the church and the state are called to work together for uh, for the benefit and uh, the redemptive nature of the human person as the human person's being drawn ever closer to Christ himself. So uh, the any notion that the two have to be separated like we've had over the last couple hundred years with, uh, with secular modernity um, really doesn't have a Christian bone in its body. I understand what you're saying. So where did this go wrong? Because there were, there was no the separation of church and state as it was written and as, as it was applied was that no state could have a state religion. Like, you know, Maryland right. didn't have to be Methodist, had to be right. Methodist. This didn't have to be Baptist. Where did this go wrong? Yeah, see, interestingly enough, as I understand, it's prior to the 1940s, most historians would argue we had what's called an accommodationist relationship between church and state. All the founding fathers uh, were accommodationists, and that simply means that the two institutions accommodate one another. They work together for the betterment of society. Then after 1940, that's when we start seeing a separationist view. 
where the state and the church never should, they operate in literally two fundamentally different domains. The state oversees the public realm. The church is, is in the, in the private realm. And, um, it's difficult to figure out what it was that, uh, that, that sparked that change. One of the fixed historical points of reference is that 1940s date, because prior to 1940, the Supreme Court and its decisions, whenever there were any issues of church and state bumping up against each other, and that's not new, that's been going on for 2,000 years. Um, but whenever there was an issue there prior to that, they used Jefferson's language to, to the uh, American Baptists in, in Connecticut um, of church and state, which is not in the Constitution, separation between church and state. They used that phrase only about a handful of times up to that point. After 1940, apparently, uh, the uh, Supreme Court has used that phrase, separation between church and state, over a thousand times. So something happened there. And it does seem to be the secularization of the university and the law schools. So where um, you uh, you started to see this notion that uh, religion is a personal private belief uh, it, that has no place in uh, the public square. That, that's something that we can first see starting uh, to be articulated in the 18th century among Enlightenment philosophers, but it took a long time before it worked itself out into politics. The French Revolution was probably really the first place we saw it happening at the beginning of the 19th century, with sort of expelled clergy and so forth from the public square. But up to that point, religion was, well, it was understood in terms of the, the, the actual Latin term religio which means to bind or to tie, to actually literally rebind or retie, it's re-ligare. And the rebinding and retying they're talking about there is uh, our social obligations. Religion defined uh, the sacred social obligations that we're all called to, whether it is giving uh, due honor to uh, our emperor or to Zeus or to our parents or, or to our uh, the employees of the guild, whatever it happens to be, whenever we're fulfilling our social obligations, we're fulfilling our religio. Um, so religion was always understood as really the heart of what held a society together. We have to remember the term culture is rooted in the Latin cult which means worship, uh, what we worship. So, so you don't have a social order really without a cultus, without a sacred uh, standard, some kind of sacred rules, understandings of goals. And they're sacred in the sense that they're unquestionable. They go beyond the realm of doubt. They're absolutely certain. They're, they're, their certainty is the basis for the whole of our social order. If we were to start questioning these sacred rules, understandings of goals, society would begin unraveling. I like using it with my uh, the example of my students. Imagine if I, you know, get on a basketball court and I start kicking the ball around and I start insisting that the ball needs to be kicked. Well, everybody on the court will, and by the way, I'm 5'5", five, five, so me on a basketball court would be a joke in of itself, but they would all look <laughs> at me, they would all look at me and say, look, Steve, you know, um, I think you're looking for the soccer field. This is a basketball court. It operates by rules that if we get rid of, then basketball unravels. We can't play it anymore. 
And so the mo and it's interesting because if I insist on it, said no, 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 we're going to keep kicking this ball. It's funny, Gary, because eventually I'm going to get kicked out of the game. I'm going to be excommunicated. You see, there's there's just no way around it. Society, it by its nature is religious, and unfortunately, in the 18th century, they wanted to replace uh, a our traditional religion of Christianity with this new religion of secularism. And uh, so they started redefining religion as something that's personal and private that you hold uh, all to your own and you're not allowed to, you know, impose it on anybody else. And that took some time, but through the Industrial Revolution, 19th century, and then the beginning of mass globalist society in the 20th century, that became the norm. And so by 1940, it seems that's when our public institutions started enforcing that separation and pushing the church solely into the private sphere of life. And in many respects, I think the results have been quite catastrophic. And I think it's one of the reasons why we're seeing our secular world unravel, because it doesn't have the sacred foundation, doesn't have the cultists to hold it together. Okay, I hear you. Now let's put the blame where the blame belongs. Uh, we know communism trying to take over the world, one of their goals, get control of the churches. Get yes. control of the churches, teach a social religion, discredit the Bible to bring Marxism into the churches, get into the seminaries. So on one end, the Marxists have inf infiltrated the evangelical church Right. The Roman Catholic Church, they've been infiltrated the churches to yeah. turn them away. And then they've obviously infiltrated the government. Right. And got right. their people in the government. So then when you when they have control of both or a lot of control of both entities, they have been able to make this horrendous split to where, like I was on a show uh, as a guest, it was about the role of Christians in society. What is our role politically? And there is a gentleman on who was a Christian, who is a conservative, but said he believed in separation of church and state. At the same time, he was complaining about why the government was so messed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. Right. Yeah. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. That's right. So yeah. talk, talk about how this happened and the, the role of Marxist, because they're not only doing that. But, you know, as we know, with the uh, Hollywood, the entertainment, the mainstream media, they're looking to take over every sector. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. No, but you got to address how it's happened in indirectly, how it's happened. The combination of communist Marxist, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Infiltration in the church and in the government. And that's mainly, correct me if I'm wrong, the main problem we have here that's created this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so taking a step back to to Marxism, just in, in our society in general. So globalism, um, which is just when all of a sudden done, globalism is just a vast interlocking mechanism of technology and telecommunications that basically creates a single political worldwide economic system. You know, so it's it's it Walmart. We all know what it is intuitively. You know, and Walmart. the Bible warns us exactly. about it. It's very Babylesque. Coming down the pike. It's very Babylesque. You got it. Uh, whether it's Babel, whether it's Rome, whether it's Babylon, whatever it happens to be, it's it's a it's a human it is a human built 
substitute uh, for God. And uh, and that's, and again, this is what Christianity is all about, restoring. God becomes man in order to liberate us from these uh, these these you know man-made uh, totalitarian systems uh, because Book of Galatians all, is all about you you know uh, the whole Christian virtue of liberty. We've been freed and liberated from these even from the Old Testament law in that sense. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, so you, you got it. And so what what globalism uh, basically does is because it's modern. Um, because it's uh, because it's uh, it, it breaks away from traditional society. That's what makes it modern. We have to remember traditional society always sees a continuity between the past, present, and future. So it's true. You and I are traditionalists in the sense that we believe that there are ideas and beliefs of the past that are absolutely indispensable for our human flourishing in the present and in the future. And this is because our traditions are eternal. You know, they they are. They they are reflecting of eternity, and and every culture has its own way of embodying that eternity and its own particular cultural instant instantiation. But regardless, what makes our cultures, what unites our cultures, we're all trying to get a sense of living out faithfully our eternal divine obligations. Modern world cares nothing about that. Modern world is a break from all that. That's what makes it modern. That's why you and I are, in their terms, we're savages, we're Neanderthals, we're primitive, we're superstitious, right? Uh, and just mm-hmm. look at how they're treating the the, the whole uh, unvaxxed portion of the population. It's literally lepers, you know, social mm-hmm. lepers. And so what we have to understand is that system of government then requires a kind of uh, liberationist, emancipatory um, uh, vibe to it. So you are you're hip. You're 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 in touch with reality. The more you break away from the traditions of the past. And so that's where you get something called emancipatory politics and emancipatory politics uh, justifies the break from the past by reconfiguring, relabeling the past as guilty of all these kinds of social sins that violate uh, equity and equality as defined, and that's key, as defined uh, by the overlords of sort of this this new emancipatory, liberated world. And that's where Marxism comes out of. That's Marxism in the 19th century. Come, Marx just articulated that in its sort of fullest form, that it is the job, it is the obligation of every single moral person, moral now defined in these highly secular terms, uh, to do everything they can to break away from these old, prehistoric, savage, you know, tribalistic, uh, unjust societies and create a more equitable and equal society ourselves uh, within within the modern age. So that's everyone is dealing with that. Whether you're watching sports, whether you're dealing with kindergarten, whether you're dealing with politics, and as you said, increasingly, whether we're dealing with the church, everybody is being held accountable to that new public standard of morality. So at one level, the reason why the church is falling victim to this is because the church has been privatized. And when you're privatized, you no longer have an objective 
moral frame of reference anymore. That's key because morality is public. It's not private. The public realm and the private realm are very different. So the public realm is where we all face our, our moral obligations. We're morally obliged to pay our taxes or we're morally obliged to show up for jury duty or we're morally. They, we get arrested not because we violated some private sentiment. We get arrested because we violated some public law. And so we're for right or for wrong. The public realm is where our moral obligations found. The public realm is where, where is operates by the objective. Private realm operates by the subjective. Public realm operates through obligation. Private realm, it operates by the the optional right. And maybe I'll go to Olive Garden for lunch, but maybe I'll go to McDonald's. It doesn't matter, right? There's no obligation one way or the other. And what we have to understand is when the church gets relocated out of the public square and put into the private sphere of life, when it's been when it's been removed from like in the medieval cities from the city center, literally, literally uh, standing above the castle. Uh, so the castle, the shadow, of the cathedral is is cast on the castle. So where when it's moved next to pizzerias and dry cleaners on Route 40. What we have to understand is it loses its moral voice. It can no longer speak in a way that's objectively right and wrong. It's now just a matter of personal opinion, kind of like the Weight Watchers program, you know, that's in the uh, it's in the strip mall right next to First Methodist, for example, whatever it happens to be. So the only moral, objective moral frame of reference we have today is Marxism, this emancipatory politics of Marxism. So the carrot that they dangle at a lot of pastors is, hey, if you want to come back into the public square, you see, then you're going to have to adopt our frames of reference. And hey, after all, Jesus is all about emancipation, isn't he? Right? Moses was all about emancipation and liberation. And that's where you get, it starts primarily in Latin America. But, uh, but that's where you get this notion of what's called liberation theology uh, with Gustavo Gutierrez, and then it comes into the United States primarily through theorists like uh, James Cone and other what are known as black, uh, black theologians, uh, black liberation theologians. Yeah, you had to bring that up because, you know, we, we, we heard that false prophet, Jeremiah Wright, who was <laughs> Barack Obama with his black liberation theology. I'll never forget when he was on Sean Hannity, and Hannity was trying to give him authentic Christianity. I'm a Christian, Jesus saved. And he was like, no, you don't know anything about, what do you know about black liberation? Oh, oh I remember that. Is that oh. the one where he's like, I'm a subject, I'm not an object. And he starts oh, going into all the social theory and Hannity's like, dude, what are you even talking about? Talking yeah. about, I, he should have just cut him off at the knees. <laughs> disrespectful, arrogant, and, but the point he was trying to make, this is where Barack Obama cut his Comes, teeth. Right, 25 exactly. years in that guy's church. Exactly. Dr. Turley, please get us off of the ledge. My final question, please tell us how do we get out of this mess? How, what can we do as Americans to try and put God and government back together again? Oh, thanks. Yeah. It, well, the, the I mean, the good news is it's happening quite organically and it's happening all over the world. This really this nightmare and it is a nightmare. It's pretty horrific um, is coming to an end. We're already seeing it again. Scholars, there's a whole wing of scholarship known as post secular studies. That's what I major in and 
post-secular studies basically recognize, and again, these are primarily liberals, Gary. These aren't like, you know, right-wing patriots, uh, you know, who are, who are doing some wishful thinking exercise. These are primarily left-wing liberals in the academy who recognize that the this Marxist world we've been describing is coming to its end. I think that's why they're clamping down so much, to be honest with you, because they just feel it. You know, it's like sand slipping through their fingers. They just can't hold on anymore. So they're doing everything they can to try to put the sand in a headlock, but it's not working, obviously. So what are we seeing? What are we seeing just in our own time? Well, you've got bumbling Biden literally collapsing before our very eyes. The latest Quinnipiac poll has him at 37% approval. That follows a Zogby poll that just came out a couple of days ago with 36% approval. So he's in the 20s when it comes uh, to independence. If he's lost Republicans and if he's lost independence, it's over, absolutely over, for him at least in this, in this regime. The, you're seeing the rise of sanctuary states all over the nation, particularly the red states going going on here where you're seeing state after state uh, prohibiting uh, vax mandates and uh, proof of vaccination. You're seeing Second Amendment sanctuaries spring up all over the place. You're seeing pro-life legislation in 70 percent of our nation. Now, we've actually cut abortion. A lot of people don't know this. We've cut abortion in half. Abortion rates were at one point well over a million back in 1992. Today, they're barely 600,000. There were uh, over uh, 2,000 abortion clinics uh, in 1992. Today, there's barely 500. So, I mean, the, the mm-hmm. amount, it, it is, it's extraordinary. And when you read these leftist sites like salon.com and so forth, they recognize that they're looking at red states and they're basically saying, guys, this is a silent secession. They're basically seceding from us. They're, they are beginning to fully institute a, a, uh, a political and uh, cultural uh, life in their laws and in their, their way of being that is reflective of a far more traditional society that is telling the blue states, forget it, we've had it with you. We're not, you know, we're, we're totally incompatible with one another and we're going to be faithful to faith, family and freedom. And so and what's happening here in the United States is happening all over the world. It's a return. But Russia in 1991 barely had 2000 functional churches when the Soviet Union fell. Today, they're by 2050. They're expected to have over 60,000. Uh, there's just this is where we're going. We're going back. And there's really nothing that our overlords can do about it. Oh, boy, this is this is what we want to hear. I so hope you're right. Uh, Dr. Turley, please tell people how they can reach you and get your product and get your get your great on your website and your great newsletter. Well, thanks, Gary. They can go to my website, TurleyTalks.com. It's my last name, T-U-R-L-E-Y, Talks, like TED Talks. Dot com, or they could just punch in my name, Dr. Steve Turley, on YouTube. We're almost hitting 800,000 subscribers there, so it's really exciting. Uh, you know, this man just brings truth in mega doses, and, and if you need to pick me up, he will get you excited with his headlines alone. So, Dr. <laughs> Turley, I, I really appreciate you coming on. You know I'm going to have you back. And uh, keep doing what you're doing and don't let them grind you down. God bless you and God bless your family. Oh, God bless you, Gary. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Dr. Steve 
Turley. He brings the heat. Please check out TurleyTalks.com. It is a great website. You will not regret it. I want to thank my guests, Nick Searcy, Bishop E.W. Jackson, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Star Parker, Virginia Prodan, and Dr. Steve Turley for setting straight the record in regard to our Judeo-Christian roots and why God must never be removed from our lives or our government. I want to accentuate the point by quoting one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Evans stated, quote, government will always expand when God is removed because then government must play God. And the tragedy is many of God's people vote for government to play God because we do not have a biblical view of government. Well, that's it, folks. Hope you enjoyed listening in. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review. And be sure to tell your friends about the show. So until the next time, Tuesday, November 23rd, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.